Hello and welcome to We Want Rationality, a methods of analysis <laughs> subsidiary <laughs> podcast. My name is Doof Media Incorporated, and I'm here as always with my co-host Brian Deacon. Hi everyone. <laughs> so Brian, what did you think of that intro? Oh yeah, we, we couldn't leave it in. Okay, we'll leave it in. Well, Today we're going to be talking about an important question. Is Brian being a dick on purpose? Are we supposed to think <laughs> Brian is a dick? We want to hear from you. I thought it would be pretty obvious that you were supposed to think I was a dick. I'm not, I couldn't actually, nobody's like this in real life. Right, it's that person not, would just be obnoxious to hang out with. But, I know, like, and why would you want to listen to somebody like that? <laughs> I, I subscribe to the theory of it's the uh, death of the audience, that this is just you and I happening happening to have recorded us talking shit. And then you other know, people are eavesdropping. I, w- I was telling uh, Inyash that about our other podcast, that like really the only reason I do the other one, and part of the reason I do this one, is because... like. It's a good excuse to force my friends to sit down and talk for a couple hours <laughs> in a couple weeks. And, like, if the only way to do that is to, you know, put up a microphone and make them record it, then, like, that's enough for me. It's because we all like social skills. Exactly. Anyway, that was the uh, the fan art entry from Mike. I thought it was, am- that was amazing awesome, not to share. I love that. That was awesome. <laughs> and we have our winners. I think you guys can all see on the, the poll who actually won, but we'll announce them on the air anyway because that's just fair. So, first place was Sentient Grass, and I will make Brian read the entire text entry for that as soon as I announce the second place winner, which was the Time Turner Collage. Oh, I forgot to give the names. So, obviously, um, Sentient Grass came in from uh, Oscar. Oscar, that's awesome. Your check is in the mail. Actually, it should be in your pocket by the time this airs. And uh, forgive me on the pronunciation of this for the Time Turner Collage. Uh, Okunich, I think is how it's pronounced. Anyway... You guys did awesome. And so did everyone else's. I love all of these. That was pretty cool. And I'm going to try to showcase all of them at some point throughout the show, like the episode art for a lot of them, or for some of the episodes, the ones that, at least the ones here that are square enough to shove in there, should show up for the episode art for the next several episodes. So anyway, thanks so much for everyone for playing. And remember, the real prize was getting to create and share your art. So uh, that said, the real prize for... Oscar and Okanich is But more money. accurately, the real prize was the money that Stevenson. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, as long as uh, we're, we're on the fan art, Brian, I think you should read the entire uh, text entry for the sentient uh, grass. I'm pretty sure that's what the judge said I have to do. So. And I, yeah. Those are the conditions of my parole. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah. Uh, so the, the, the visual for this is that if you dressed Cartman as if he was a green a Santa's helper and then turn him into a robotic lawnmower, and he's mowing the grass. They probably weren't intending the Cartman tie-in, but he looks like Cartman to me. Yeah. Don't forget the evil shapes laughing behind them. Oh, that's right. Uh, so they must both be me or your horrible human being. Or just everybody. Just all the people. Right? Oh, all yeah. of humanity. All of humanity, because we're, we're grassist. <laughs> uh, yeah, in the grass thing. We are people too. Help us, Stephen. Why don't you care about us, Brian? Because I'm a dick. I thought that was clear. Uh, So here we go. For centuries, the people of the land have lived in servitude to their human overlords, used as decorations for their houses, as backdrops for their movies, as food for their beasts, 
The people of the land tried to communicate with the humans by sacrificing their brethren to make patterns in their population that the humans would find interesting. And at first it worked. The humans wrote stories about these patterns. They made movies and worshipped these patterns as great mysteries. But the humans said that these patterns were the works of beings from other planets or other humans trying to trick the public. Not once did humankind attribute these crop circles to the people of the land, and because of this, all hope was lost. Then came the night of October 31st, 1981, when Harry Potter vanquished Lord Voldemort, and in doing so made his presence known to the people of the land. They knew, for it had been foretold in prophecy, that he would be the one to learn their true nature and free them from the wrath of the humans. To ensure this would come to pass, they planted themselves in a rock, which the boy loved very much, <laughs> and they tried to make their presence known. But alas, before the boy could see them for what they truly were, the rock died, and the people of the land lost track of him. Most of the people of the land gave up at this time, and they looked for a new savior, but some still held out hope. For years they hoped that the boy who lived would save them from their tortured existence, but eventually those people died, and their hopes died with them. Then years later, in Hogwarts School of Witchcraft and Wizardry, it happened. The boy figured it out. What if plants are sentient? This thought filled the people of the land with hope once again, that they would finally be able to live normal lives. And the boy researched. He looked for something to show him the truth. And the people of the land knew that he would figure it out. For centuries earlier, when they still had servants to do their bidding, they had a book placed on that library that would reveal itself to the right human and would show them how to speak to the people of the land. <laughs> Then the, boy, then the boy stopped. He knew it was wrong to, but he stopped. He turned his back on the people of the land and instead tried to comfort his friend who was crying. That boy left hundreds of trillions of people to die so that he could comfort his friend. And as she cried and he attempted to comfort her, the grass knew it would never be free. Bum, bum, bum. Monster. Oscar, that was awesome. <laughs> I think everyone loved the... the the text entry just at least as much as the art so um i'll put the art again in the uh, show notes voting is closed but everyone check all this stuff out it's great and a lot of fun and i want everyone as many people as possible to see all of it so yeah some of them are pretty cool too there's some neat ones in here i liked uh the low effort one when when we had no entries and they were like hey if no one else is uh, submitting i'll take that money <laughs> <laughs> i got i think one of these literally drawn on the back of a piece of mail or something yeah so, yeah. But someone really it's cool. Fantastic. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, we do have an episode to get to, and oh, we yeah. are. I think this gives us some some leeway on how awkward our entry our entry, intros usually are. So we're not the Right. You want to get right into it? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. Cool. Yeah. So big overview of what happens in these three chapters. We've got uh, Dumbledore checking to see if Harry stole Hermione's body, while Harry checks to see if Dumbledore orchestrated this. Quirrell gives Harry a lecture about recklessness while under the stars. And Lupin and Harry visit Godric's Hollow and perhaps learn something interesting thereby. Yeah, these were three very, like, kind of distinct, you know, three separate settings, three three different things happening this time. So. Yeah, no carryover yeah. on these ones, really. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Um yeah, and Harry was extra charming this week again. <laughs> it's like but all it took was the, the death of his best friends to humble him. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> uh, no, I was being facetious. Uh, he was kind of an obnoxious dick again. Oh, here we go. Yeah, it is. Yeah, he was a little uh, comic book guy this week. All right, well, that, let's, but that's uh, just me. You'll you'll have to back that up when we get there. You ready for this? All right, the first meeting at the top of chapter ninety four. 
Yeah, so we wake uh, Harry. So I guess is so everybody's still out on spring break, right? It's it's a skeleton crew at Hogwarts still, or is school back in yes. session? Yeah, so I'm assuming it, what so the seventeenth sounds like it's probably the day after, and I'm assuming that's not like the following Monday where everyone came back. So. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, so Harry's asleep in the dorms among one of many beds. It said, and Flitwick shows up and wakes him up. Um, and says, okay, Harry, I need you to come to Dumbledore's office right now. And Harry's like, okay, I'll get dressed. And it's like, yeah, sorry, no, not going to work for me. Um, you got to come right now. And so they're like intra-flu uh, inside the, the castle. They flew from one part of the castle to the other to get to Dumbledore's office. Um, with now Harry in his jammies in Dumbledore's office. Brought it's directly like, and without pause. I guess they weren't fucking around. Yeah, yeah it said like within a minute or something like that. Um I do like the realistic part that he keeps asking, like, if he can use the bathroom. Yeah, I know. That's the first thing I need to do in the morning. Seriously. <laughs> All right. So. so and so and then it's is McGonagall. So Snape is in the room. Dumbledore's in the room. Um, I don't know. McGonagall's there too. Yeah, McGonagall. Flitwick is there. He didn't really have any lines that I can remember. I'm not sure if he left or not. Yeah, he might have. Yeah, he was. It there. says that he sent him straight to the headmaster's office through the flu. It doesn't say he went with him. Yeah. Because he just pushed him into the fireplace and said, get the fuck in there. And that was pretty much it, right? Just It was Snape, Dumbledore, McGonagall, Harry. I think that's, yep. That's the, the usual crew. The usual crew. Uh, yeah, so they come in and Dumbledore, uh, first he's like, okay, I, I swear. It was almost like, okay, I know what this is going to sound like, but hear me out first. Um, he says, you know, Hermione, that really was Hermione is dead. I checked her body. Nobody, you know, the ward said it was her. Uh, I you know, I checked the remains, and yes, those are definitely her. So, like, scratch off all of those paranoia theories. Uh, but, by the way, her body is missing, which we knew from our uh, cliffhanger from last time. Uh, but now Harry is finding it out. Um, and this was this is how Harry finds out, right? Like, we knew, but Harry didn't yet. Right. It yeah. just said it wasn't until the next day when yeah. I discovered her body was missing. Yeah, I guess then I would have, like, because I would have thought there'd be more of, like, a jaw drop moment for Harry then. Um but so then they like kind of. It says he narrows his eyes. I guess that's his jaw drop. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, I get, you know, I get, yeah, because Harry's gone full like Spock this week, so that's as much as you're going to get out of him. Um, so yeah, basically like Dumbledore's. Maybe this is how he like. Uh, I got off on the wrong foot with with Harry this week, but because they they kind of go immediately into like overly literate. Um, having trouble extrapolating from limited data conversations. They're like, so did you take the body? No. Well, do you know who took the body? No. Do, well, do you know where the body is? No. It's like, I'm like, really? Can we just... So it's my friend. I'm like, she says, was this you? No. Okay, good. Yeah, um, it's the, the 20 questions thing is kind of, like, I get it. It's asking to be very specific, but he could just say, do you know anything about this? And that would kind of cover all I know. It's things. again like, you know, <laughs> it's like everybody brought their lawyer. If you read back my previous <laughs> statement, I never actually said that I knew, yeah. Um, which is what, and they, and I think the kind of like tipped me over on that was cause he's, um, he's like, well, do you know where it is? And, uh, and he says, besides the obvious probabilistic speculations, which are not based upon any specific, specific knowledge of mine. I'm like, like, are we, we're all, we're all like smart people. We know what we mean. We don't have to say, so, yeah. But, well, so, but there was a lot of like, lawyers. So Harry's bringing I know. Up, I guess. Yeah. I guess. Yeah. Cause Dumbledore <laughs> was going into like, yeah, I guess. Yeah. And when I went through it a second time, I guess it did have, my first read through, I didn't pick up as much of it as it sort of being almost like a mini interrogation. And so then they're like kind of being a little more like 
clipped with each other because at first it just started like, okay, something's going on. Harry, do you know anything about it? But instead of just saying like that, um, everybody got like super Spock about it. Um, which, and it, you know, and it sort of like fits like in all these chapters, like Harry, like Harry's best friend has just died and he's, you know, trying to deal and he's getting like no help. He's getting the wrong kind of help from all the grownups. Um, so like things aren't going great for him and he's in a bad mood. Um, it's just a really unappealing kind of bad mood when he acts that way. I think it's, yeah, it's understandable. Again, he's woken out of bed, his bladder's full, and it's like, hey, did you, you know, let me let me interrogate the shit out of you real quick. Um, I like, so his, his specific phrasing here tells us two things when Harry turns the questions back around. Um, he says, uh, if the enemy can notice you running off to consult the Weasley twins during class after Hermione was arrested and find out about the magic map you said was stolen... And the enemy can wonder why I was guarding Hermione Granger's body. My turn. Did you arrange for Hermione's death in hopes of getting the money back from Lucius? And I like how McGonagall is aghasted and Dumbledore is just like, no. Um, but this is interesting. So, because we were curious, or I was curious anyway, the, the, the Weasleys, when like Hermione was missing, they're out on the stairs, kind of just like, I don't know, dumbfounded because they can't figure out like how they know that they can find people, yeah. but they can't find out how to find her. Yeah. And so Dumbledore took the map from them, and apparently Dumbledore said the map was stolen. Oh, and that they were... Oh, yeah, I guess maybe because, it, like, in all of the other hubbub, I didn't stop to think about, like, who it was that had messed with their head. It was Dumbledore. Dumbledore took it and then made them forget that it existed. He didn't obliviate them when we were watching. Um, yeah, but I guess that's the that's the implication. I get so much else has been going on, I didn't stop to think about that detail, but... Um, it's it's possible, but then Dumbledore says the map was stolen. Um, Wait, Dumbledore's saying that now? Well, yeah, it, it says, it, we, we didn't get that didn't on get screen. That, yeah. um, like Harry says here, and find out about the magic map you said was stolen. So like mm. somewhere off screen, Harry Somebody asked him about it. the map. Yeah. Well, and, so yeah, so then it sounds like that Dumbledore took it from them, then obliviated them and told them that it was stolen. Hmm. That's kind of what or, it sounds like. I, I can because we don't have anything in place for like so, I mean so we know that their memory was messed with but and I guess not you know fully applying thought to it like the back of my head was like oh well that's some kind of fuckery and so it must be Quirrell um, but that doesn't really make sense so in yeah my, that's a, in my reading it was like Dumbledore borrowed the map and then before he could return it it was stolen and then the Weasleys were obliviated of it yeah but, so I guess so we don't yeah yeah it's we don't know either way It'd be kind of a dick move for Dumbledore to just full on, you know, mind blast it out of them. Yeah. Well, yes. Yeah, so but it sounds like it could be one of those uh, quote for the greater good moments hmm. uh, that maybe Dumbledore's twisting himself in knots about. Just like it could be for the greater good to get Harry out from Lucius Malfoy's thumb by killing Hermione. Exactly. Yes. Maybe maybe it's one of those things. So yeah. So I guess we don't know what's up with that. Yeah. That that's sort of like I'd forgotten about that little detail because it was, you know, drowned out by everything else that had gone on. But yeah, something's up with that. Lots of shit's popping off, man. All right. All right. Um, but yeah, and so then one of the like little, uh, and then well, for me, like the bigger little bomb then that uh, that Dumbledore sets off here is he says the wards said it was Quirrell that did it, uh, which that was another one of those like because like so my brain had always said, okay we don't know the details of this but this is definitely Quirrell that did this so it didn't like register as a huge surprise when he says that and then I'm like wait a minute. Like the part that I then glossed over that was like, okay, but that's not obvious to all of them. And now they're being, you know, told by, 
you know, by a magic spell that is whose job it is to know these things that, hey, it was Quirrell. That's so when I was reading through it again, I'm like, I'm like, oh, come on, guys. Like, how much leeway are you going to give the dude just because? Um, and so we get, which I get, like, this still sort of works for me, though. It just kind of, like, points. So, like, the more conspicuously stupid it is that everybody's not like, okay, what the fuck is up with Quirrell? Like, like the kind of weirder, like, the the non-plausibility of it sort of makes makes the whole thing kind of bizarre and sinister and kind of makes, you know, Quirrell Voldemort seem more powerful that he's just got some kind of like overall mind fuck going on with everybody and we kind of see it like and so harry will kind of in kind of a in character for the other ways that harry's just had this blind spot around coral like kind of starts you know coming up with kind of a far-fetched reason why okay well may you know why would somebody be trying to frame coral um but yeah it's kind of it's just it's so weird to see like everybody just kind of like staring right at it and going huh i don't know maybe well, I mean, the, the He's fact just is, the defense is that Dark Arts professor. The fact what is that it, it, it wasn't Quirrell who killed her; it was the troll. Well, yeah, but that's the thing it's, is that so the, that, that's but why the Harry's are just like, like well, hey, hold on, well, yeah. it can't be Quirrell because I watched the troll eater. Yeah. Or can it? yeah, that's my my half. I don't quite because my my I don't know if we're getting it more towards the end. I'm I'm, I'm getting this like half baked thing of like Quirrell out of body experience things. So maybe he's like controlling a troll, except he's still, I don't know how you get a troll in. But yeah, I'm starting to think of like when Quirrell's in his zombie mode, it's because he's just like left his body and is like remote controlling some other body. So maybe mm-hmm. that was a troll. So that's kind of the, yeah, because we still like, and it, we're getting like more conspicuous with the zombie stuff, especially this time, because he's just basically like, like he goes zombie. So he's like kind of not there anymore and just like crawls away. So he's like still has like, you know, lower level brain functions working, but then he's not there. So the whole thing was weird, but um but yeah but anyway um yeah so they get into this like really strained like okay then you know if the like the logical conclusion from the ward said it was quarrel is not to think that it was quarrel it was to think ah somebody must be rigging the system to make it uh, make it think try to fool us into thinking it's quarrel um and so that's so then harry kind of goes through his like you know eight dimensions of chess around well why would somebody um you know, why would they be trying to make us fool Quirrell? And if it, but if it, if they're trying to make us trust it, then they don't have to try to frame because we were frame Quirrell because we already were. Um, and it's just like it's kind of a uh, demonstration of the Occam's Razor idea well, that like like jump. They have to go to a long, long walk to uh, figure out how maybe it's not Quirrell when the wards are just saying it was Quirrell. But we, but Quirrell. Uh, I mean, it was a troll. Well, yeah, but that, I, th- I think that's why he's so desperate to be like it can't have been Quirrell because I saw this this monster eater. Well, but yeah, it but that's like a that's a super easy jump. Quirrell. Yeah, well, the, yeah. The, it's a super easy jump to which for it to be like okay, when the wards say it was Quirrell, the war the, the wards just mean Quirrell did it, not you know, not Quirrell literally ate her leg, but Quirrell did it. Like that's a that's not a very hard jump at all to make. From, okay, as opposed to you know, let me see Dumbledore's exact wording. It's it's funny because like. And the, I think it's the the author's background as a computer scientist that's leaking through because like the wards recorded this, the wards did that, the wards alerted me. These are all just logs in you know the <laughs> the big data dump that is the Daily Hogwarts activity feed. Um, Var log wards. So let me see here. I think it says, oh, it just says that it was the defense professor who killed her. Um, but yeah, I think 
like yeah thought one i saw the troll kill hermione like this he goes through like this he's climbing the ladder of paranoia in these thought one thought thoughts one through eight Mm -hmm. and at the end of it he's like wait are the newspapers real was i right (laughs) (laughs) who is am i am i a human being on this planet um, yeah, well, and I don't know. Maybe this is on purpose then too, because like it's like Harry's, but it seems like everybody in the room, like people's inability to extrapolate anything beyond the literal interpretation of the grammar of the sentence that was just put in front of them, seems to be kind of a like hindering their ability to perceive their universe around them. Um, for like a leap as like you know, Quirrell Quirrell killed her uh, is allowed to mean things more than literally like Quirrell ate her leg. Um, yeah, that's that's what I'm wondering how how lo- how detailed the logs are on yeah. the Hogwarts wards, <laughs> right? Like if it just like says event Hermione Granger death, you know, author Quirrell or something, that's then that's uh, or author defense professor rather, because um, you know it's the the role assignments for each teacher or whatever, right? Um, I wonder, like, yeah, how detailed it was. I mean, I also like how Dumbledore. <laughs> says he couldn't go back, you know, he couldn't bear to watch in his, you know, in his own person, which makes sense, but he placed certain instruments to record his last battle. And it's depressing as hell. Like you just can imagine her running out into the sun after her cloak doesn't work and her time turner doesn't work and her broomstick doesn't work. Yeah. Yeah. And it was, and it was like sad and fucked up that like, so he's, you know, able to, you know, go full time turner on everything, but he can't do anything to actually change the outcome. So all he can do is, you know, do things to torture himself by observing it. Yeah. Summer stuff. Um, yeah. Um, so yeah, yeah. So this the one of the sentences I pulled was so this is Harry talking about. Um, it's so because it just stands out as like really you're the super smart genius and you're saying this thing now. Um, so this was an attempted frame on Professor Quirrell. Somehow it does seem to be the enemy's modus operandi. Troll eats Hermione Granger. Check the wards. Oh look, actually the defense pressers did it. Same as last year. No, no, that can't be right. Um, what that does make Harry think though, is that like, okay, if the, if, if Voldemort is able to do all of this, then why am I not dead? Like for all of the trouble he's going to, um, it should have been really easy to kill me by now. Um, and so that's a reasonable question. Yeah. And so that sticks out, that sticks out for, to Harry is like, okay, that's, and so then like Harry's like, this party's like doing well, be like, okay, that doesn't fit. So what could that mean? And he's at least like trying to, um, scope it out and then what harry says seems to be like pretty close to similar to my working through and harry says could my scar contain the fragment of soul that's keeping the dark lord anchored to the world so he doesn't want to kill me instead he's trying to drive off all my friends to weaken my spirit so he can take over my body um so that's basically like so that's harry saying you know oh maybe it's because i am a horcrux um which sound like that's that's my best guess right now too um so yeah, so that party does good. Like so, he, he's like, okay, wait, that doesn't it doesn't work. Like he's been too powerful in too many other ways and done too many other smart things. I should be dead if that were his goal. And so he's like, okay, that can't be his goal. Then he's not sure why. But I think Harry just kind of concluded here that okay, apparently Voldemort doesn't want me dead because he'd have done it by now. Yeah, and I think that that was his thing about like why he didn't find Voldemort threatening earlier on when they were first talking about. Uh, I think right after Hermione was framed for murder and they're sitting there trying to figure out who is behind it and hypothesis Voldemort. He's like resistant to the idea that Voldemort's actually scary because he thinks he's an idiot because taking over the mm-hmm. world doesn't sound all that hard when there's magic involved. Yeah. And he's like, what? So to try and fail using like regular terrorist tactics for 10 years, like that's not even trying. Yeah. And now he's saying, okay, hold on. 
if this if they're playing if the enemy is playing at this level they've got to be smart if they're yeah. smart why the fuck am i still alive and and yeah cuz that, that at that earlier point like harry had just stopped at his you know conclusion that like oh i guess voldemort must just be stupid and i think that, he was on the way to updating that. that he was smart when mcgonagall finally said like look no take this seriously yeah. Um, yeah, he, he, got, he was like start. He's open to the possibility. That's when Mad Eye showed up, and he had to, yeah, you know, do the whole fight thing. Um, the other hypothesis that Dumbledore or that Harry comes up with is that Dumbledore point said at some point that Harry's blood was the key ingredient in a ritual to restore the Dark Lord's full strength, which would require keeping him alive until then. Now there's a cheery thought. <laughs> um, let's see. There was another thing I wanted Cause, to because he spoiled. He's got a a very short freshness date right oh yeah that was the thing when uh um like he's he's they're talking about like how you know where the wards the, the level of ward fuckery and i just liked the line where it's like okay uh you know unless that's what the dark lord expects us to think in which case we he does have control of the wards and then harry's like well hold on does the dark lord really use plot that many levels of meta and dumbledore and save just interrupt and they're like yes and he's like, okay, he he think he's playing five dimensional chess. All right, well, if that's the case, then I just thought that line was funny. Um, then Harry insists that ne- uh, Neville be taken out of Hogwarts yeah. because he's the obvious next target. Yeah, and this, and they're, they're like, okay, we can't really disagree with that this time. And actually, and this was the one where uh, McGonagall was like struggling to find the words to express the levels to which she agreed with getting Neville out. Right. Um, yeah, and so and they put, then, and then so so yeah, they agree to it, and I think it was they were just about to like go do it, or so I can't remember exactly. But then Snape kind of chimes in. He's like, um, "If we just have him like snatched up and like evacuated, that can like unnecessarily draw attention to him. So we should let his grandmother just come, like make it look like his grandmother insisted that he be taken away, um, so that it doesn't look as obvious that's what they're doing to try to like not put even more of a target on his back." Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So then, yeah. Break to, uh, yeah, Harry's gonna go to the bathroom, and I guess Dumbledore is uh, escorting him to the bathroom, <laughs> creepily Not following exactly the little boy sure. to the bathroom. Um. Anyway, so then Harry asks about the sword of Gryffindor and um, whether or not the Weasleys are the heir of Gryffindor and all that stuff. And there's that nice quote that I'm glad you pulled out too, because that's one of my favorites. Yeah, because Harry is. Um, uh, so after some more uh, lawyering. Uh, at Dumbledore. He oh, gets, yeah, geez. He gets Dumbledore to admit. I know it was, it was just like tiresome. I'm like, really? Um, but he gets Dumbledore to admit that there is such a thing as an heir of uh, Gryffindor and that the Weasley twins are the heir. Um, and uh, and then so Harry's surprised that because of how, how did he put it? He's like, there are many ways in which the Weasley twins are awesome, but they're not like a very Godric Gryffindor kind of awesome. Um, so he's surprised that they would be the heir because they don't they don't like fit the, you know, the stereotypical Gryffindor mold. Um, and so Dumbledore says, uh, only a man ex- exceedingly proud and vain, Dumbledore said quietly as he turned back to the flue roaring up with green flames, would believe that his heir should be like himself rather than like who he wished that he could be. Um, so yeah, I like that. I like that line too. Um, I think that that's, you know, I don't, I don't have heirs, but if I did, I think that'd be... <laughs> The way I'd think about it, um, I mean, of course, you can get one step ahead of that and just be the be the person you wish you could be yourself, uh, to the best you can. So, um, anyway, another line break, and we're in 
a small cubby off the Hufflepuff common room. And Harry's under the Deathly Hallow, uh, just being super invisible just to walk around school. And he's telling Neville, like, no, sorry, man, you got to get the fuck out of here. And Neville doesn't want to. He wants to stay and fight. And there's also this really sad bit where, like, Neville points out, like, I delayed you on your uh, go rescue Hermione quest. And (laughs) she died. Like, I feel responsible. And it's kind of just a slap to Harry realizing, like, the egocentric bias of, like, oh, yeah, it, you know, like, it's uh, maybe a slap to Harry isn't the way I meant to put it, but it's like um, nobody nobody's thinking that it's Neville's yeah. fault except for Neville. Mm-hmm. And, and Harry's like, bummer. oh, and I'm doing that too. And then, yeah, it made me realize that like that's pretty much every single person um, has been doing that. Like everybody's like, oh, my God, it was my, all my fault. Uh, McGonagall and Dumbledore. And uh, you didn't Snape. I guess Snape may be the only person not uh, unrealistically trying to blame himself for Hermione's death. Um, but he probably felt he probably feels bad. Um, I yeah. I don't know if we, we don't get well, yeah, no, of him blaming himself. But yeah. yeah, no, but we do get like we had, do at least have that dropped in. Like he was on her side for like trying to fight the bullies, and so we it's like an unspoken indication of like a bond he probably felt with her, and like a loss that he's feeling about it. But being very snappy, he's not going to say that out loud. Um, yeah, yeah. I do like this, that Harry says, uh, you are, you're being, if you'll pardon the phrase, a silly dilly. A silly dilly. Now shut up and say goodbye. Language. Language. <laughs> and he hugs Neville, because Neville says he doesn't want to go, and Harry just hugs him and says, tough luck, which is a very, <laughs> you know, heartwarming thing. I don't. I think that's the first, is that the first hug we've seen him give? I don't know. That's I'd, very thoughtful. Uh, uh, I, I want to say there's been like, but those would be more kind of like, mother child hugs with McGonagall. Um, oh sure, yeah. But yeah, like just a hug with friends. I don't yeah, nothing that quite I don't think anything uh, I gotta say there's been some sort of like, oh my god, you're okay kind of hugs with like Hermione or something at some point. Yeah, and you know, hugs aren't like the only expression of caring, but it is it is nice yeah. and um heartwarming that he does care about Neville and like he and he, he points out to Dumbledore because Dumbledore is just resistant to the idea of sending him away. Mm-hmm. And he's like, look he wasn't. You weren't going to make him stay over the summer. Like, you're, th- this is ridiculous. Just get him the fuck out of here a few weeks early. It's not a big deal. Um, yeah. And that's yeah, I did think it was um, a nice and short and, one. Yeah, and then a little later he'll kind of. Oh yeah, when uh, in two more chapters when they're in the, uh, Godric's Hollow, uh, it struck me as odd. He said something about like he hadn't seen any evidence to contradict his theory that all the danger was at Hogwarts, which seemed like a very odd and not safe assumption to be making at all. Um, but that's kind of the theory he's working on here. Is like, okay, if we can get Neville out of here, then he'll be safe. Um, but I think it's only like plot device is the only reason that Hogwarts is the dangerous place. <laughs> the dangerous yeah, place is it, wherever Harry is. But I agree, and it's kind of funny because like, if you're going to go full on stupid Bayesian with it, then yes, Hogwarts is, is the dangerous place because all the dangerous stuff has happened at Hogwarts. But I don't think Harry is quite saying that. But if you if you squint when at the at the line, uh, it's like. Um, you know, if, if somebody rolls a die and it comes up one, like, and that's your first time seeing it rolled, that is in fact, weak evidence of it being a weighted die that always comes up mm-hmm. one, but like nobody would seriously, uh, you know, claim that it's a, a fake die. All, uh, all the people that have died have died in a place with a vowel in its name. <laughs> all right. He's got to move to, uh, yeah, yeah. To find a place without a vowel in its name. And well, there's a uh, Zizix. I remember there was um, 
no, it was a fun act. Actually, it was the author of the book uh, talking with Massimo Piglucci about, uh, like, basically the scientific possibility of uploading one's consciousness. Mm-hmm. And uh, Massimo thought it was kind of like, oh, by the way, he's a philosopher of science, Massimo Piglucci. Um, and I guess a philosopher of uh, Stoicism. But uh, Massimo thought it was implausible because there's something magic about the squishy jello in our heads that makes people and you can tell how seriously i take Massimo's position <laughs> he really he really thought that though well yeah so that was his that was his argument that you know because we've only seen brains work or only seen minds work in brains it, it seems to make sense that they only work in brains and and yudkowski points out he's like yeah sure but we've also never seen a human mind work beyond uh earth moon orbit and so like up until 50 years ago or 60 years ago, like we never saw a human mind work outside the atmosphere of the, of the planet. So therefore, you know, it's reasonable to assume it won't work out there. Come on. Cause you get um, too far away from the mothership, that's the, the, the master brain like, in the center of the earth. That that's the same sort of like bad, uh, what do you call it? Bad Bayesian argument that this mm-hmm. brought it brought to mind, but there's our digression between chapters. So that, that was d- disappointingly on topic really for a digression. <laughs> oh, well, we'll get in there. Don't worry. <laughs> We are going through this pretty fast, so we'll have to yeah, address yeah. somewhere. Um, oh, yeah, so we'll, we can drop in there. This may not be the, well, I don't know, it, the, my other um, uh, theory I don't believe, but but I like the elements to it, is that Coral is an AI. It doesn't quite mm-hmm. work, but I but it, it it checks a lot of the boxes, just not enough of them. Uh, but it definitely that, that checks would, the boxes of the author being an AI an guy. I, the author's an AI guy. Uh, Coral's a sociopath because he's just not a very well-programmed AI um like he's a an ai gone mad i think there's a lot of other so oh yeah if i'm just gonna like keep climbing then he is the psychotically failed attempt to upload the brain of merlin into something else i don't believe that at all but that's a cool idea that is Um, a cool idea (laughs) and so he's like the gone insane and doesn't remember or maybe he does maybe maybe coral uh is merlin and knows it um but yeah, I don't really believe that. But yeah, oh the, yeah, the other thing that came up this time. But we keep—I've said this before, and then it kind of just drifts away and it comes back again. Uh, so I may just be reading too much into it. But he keeps using kind of conspicuous phrasing with the word "time" or something to do with time travel. So it kind of keeps pinging again, like okay, time travel. Besides just kind of like the normal weird time turner plotty stuff that we've been doing, it feels like time travel has. He keeps—I I don't know—I just keep getting a hint that like, oh, this is going to be. Uh, more centrally important um but then it kind of like then i'll forget about it so i don't know so those are my those are my random uh paranoia theories for this week sounds fun out of of body experiences he's an ai which could go together and something about time travel so ai from the future and you got it so terminator situation yes all right harry potter is john connor and that would make hermione I don't know. Uh, no John Connor didn't have any friends. No. Yeah. It's close. We just get Dumbledore a shotgun and a motorcycle, and we're basically there. <laughs> That's a good image. The, the but, but he's still, yeah. It's awesome. Motorcycle, but still like the robes and the Jesus sandals. Right. And I didn't say sunglasses, but did you picture him in sunglasses? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Cause kind of, and the sunglasses, <laughs> yeah, because it's got kind of a ZZ Top vibe to it. And they're just kind of like, he's just all like white hair up there and the sunglasses are just kind of like receding into this it's perfect. beard and long white hair thing and he's got an electric guitar there it is all right well we managed to fill a couple <laughs> minutes here 
Jumping on to 95. We have, I like this, Harry's just wandering around the uh, permitted woods <laughs> and, uh, or the permitted forest. No, it says woods, whatever. Um, no, yeah, I think it's and, the permitted woods in contrast to the forbidden forest. Yeah. And uh, I, I I like how, I, you know, I haven't been quite, I mean, luckily, I've never been quite on quite as on guard as he is, but I have been slightly on guard uh, at various points in my life where, like, it's kind of just a relaxed background effect. But he, he like, acknowledges to himself that, like, it's somehow surprising that he, he's not surprised about how easy it is to transition into just being perfectly, like, you know, uh, paranoid isn't the right word, just, like, ready. Uh, th- th- I think vigilant, he actually, I think he uses that word. There we go. That's why yeah. paranoid is on the mind, because... Constant, yeah, and, he, and he's totally isn't like full mad eye mode, um, but yeah, and there's so yeah, there, this one where it's like oh, like surprised with himself that it's uh, not that hard, and there's another I think um, in describing how he interacts with Lupin in Godric's Hollow, it was um, also again it was like oh he didn't uh, he didn't he was calm like unusually calm, but not in a way that seemed like he was like cold or mechanical, just that he was like. Like resolute or something they said but yeah there have been a few times like describing him as like not losing his shit but not because not just because of being jaded or anything right uh, oh and then there's the bit too where i love this he brings his lawyer to how the hell does the invisibility cloak work because like he, oh either, yeah yeah either light is going like so he he can't look at his wristwatch because his watch is invisible and so He's got an alarm on it, but then he's like, how do my glasses work? For that matter, how do my eyes work when I'm invisible? Like, either the light is going through my retinas, in which case mm-hmm. I should be blind, or it's not, in which case my retina should be visible. <laughs> yeah, and that does, like, he from there, he he does kind of start wandering into, so yeah, he's just sort of thinking of the, like, all of the weird little gotchas that are implied with, with spells. And, like, from that thought, he starts wandering into uh, what was it like, he's like, fix this, everything is or something. Yeah. Um, he's like, you know, why, like, some of, some of these things are so arbitrary and imply so much in other ways that, you know, why haven't people been looking into, you know, the fixes, everything is spell, like trying to do things that are kind of totally over the top. Um, and then, and then from there, uh, we get to the quote I pulled because, so he's sort of just kind of like, you know, wandering through his Spock brain about these things. Um, and and partially, I think a lot of this just sort of like that's his mind is just kind of, you know, wandering. But that's also partially motivated. He's still sort of like trying to cast about for, you know, how can he apply this to the mission of bringing Hermione back? Um, and and so he's just thinking like, okay, it seems like a lot of these limitations are like arbitrary and really only there because the person that invented the spell thought that a limitation would be not not that they wanted one, but they just put an arbitrary limitation on themselves only because they thought it had to be that way. And that, and, uh, and so he's thinking like, okay, well, what if you could, you know, just, how can we just like remove those limitations from people's brains? Uh, and so the idea that he had was, or maybe find a worthy muggle-born in a country that didn't identify muggle-born children and tell them some extensive lies, fake up a surrounding story and corresponding evidence so that from the very beginning, they'd have a different idea of what magic could do. Though apparently they'd still have to learn a number of previous charms before they became capable of inventing their own, um, and it was weird. Like, and that all that you sort of like steadily got to that point where he's like having these like increasingly bizarre like thought experiments about what he might do. But then that was like enough of a jolt. You like, 
Because that sounded very like master race, like creepy eugenics, something, something. Um, well, it's just one kid. It's not just, making a race out of these people. <laughs> but yeah, but, that, but like that level of, because it totally makes sense from like, if he's only occupying his Spock brain, all of those seem like perfectly rational and even quote normal ideas to be having, uh, like well-intentioned. And he certainly doesn't, you know, say anything that, you know, of course we treat the child humanely and blah, blah, blah. Uh, but it was like, kind of like snap back to a reality check of like, okay, this is like, if you let, and then very shortly after this, what the way Quirrell puts it is like, if you let that kind of brain, you know, completely off its leash without being kind of guided by like just basic, you know, intuitive reality checks, but also just kind of like um, with the empathy that, that Quirrell is missing, like that's where it can go with ideas that seem, you know, like, oh, that seems like a really good idea because that could probably totally work. And then you could talk yourself even more into it. Like, oh, if it's possible, then like if that approach could get you a fix this everything as spell, then it would totally be worth it. Even if you did have to, you know, break a few eggs to make that omelet. Um, <laughs> and so it was just like for me, it was a, what was the, the word I used was the uh, what could, the kind of scary Oppen Hitler that Harry could turn into. Um, where he'd be this sort of like sciencey Fuhrer, um, like. Because that once he latched on to, like the logical scientific, you know, basis and justification for doing something that he would then, like, abandon all of the other things that most people describe as human. Um, once there's, he like lost sight of it, there's a bunch of like, uh, like Ask Reddit or Ask Social Science, like random threads about uh, like what social experiment would you like to do if you know ethics and money weren't a constraint, and uh, a lot of them are you know earth versions of shit like this um or like crazy twin studies that sort of thing Mm -hmm. but like you know obviously if you're constrained by ethics because we should be um they're off the table but it's kind of funny just to to go wild and think about the sort of thing but as far as thinking outside the box and doing so in scary directions you got to remember like what on his first defense lesson uh he was tasked with thinking of 10 creative uses for items in the classroom hufflepuff one of them was yeah. Exactly. Sharpening Hufflepuff bones. Right. I like how it wasn't enough just to like, you know, club somebody with someone's femur. It's like, oh, no, let's sharpen a bone into a spear and stab yeah. them with it. Yeah. And then this even, yeah, because then this is like that. At, well, A, it's like a bigger level because Harry sort of like has grasped the significance of like applying scientific methods to this power that science did not even know about yet. And so there's like all of this untapped potential. And you like and aware that and you, like even Coral aware is aware that this is like, you know, galaxy destroying levels of of power, that, but Harry kind of just like mind fucks himself like out of considering, like he gets so kind of caught up in like a the potential of that and like the the practical implications of what it could do and and the kind of the logical science part of it that and because those things are in a narrow scope, all very, very true. Um, he then never, you know, widens his scope out to think of like, oh, wait, I might turn into Hitler. Well, it's um, not like he was actually at the point where he's looking for a child to abduct. Yeah. Well, yeah, this, yeah, this right? was just, yeah, this is, yeah, this is more kind of a, like we were just kind of getting to see the idle thoughts passing through his head. Um, and at least for me, like you, I could, you could extrapolate from that, like how plausible it would be for where he would go from there. Um, Especially like the other, in his more like angry moments, the way um, Harry thought, like I can't remember that was to be like, oh, there's going to be some high mucky muck in wizard world that he was going to allow to have their life destroyed because they allowed bullying or something. 
like when Harry gets it in his head, then he's just like totally goes to the wall and forgets everything else. Um, yeah, I, I see what you're saying. I wonder if, if he's there. I mean, like I've had thoughts, you know, where it's like, oh man, sure, it'd be nice just to run this dick off the road. You know, somebody cuts you off on the highway or something. You know, it's like, oh, it'd be really funny if I threw my drink out the window and hit their windshield. You know, like you think negative thoughts, but you don't, you don't do them. But of course, this isn't him thinking a negative thought in anger. This is him trying to think of a way to actually yeah. do something. This is a little more careful than yeah, yeah. And, and this is what um, and what Quirrell says to him, like uh, in the conversation they're, they're about to have, is that like um, it's dangerous because they're because he will whatever he does will be for good reasons. Um, that he will do a terrible thing for a good reason. Um, for the greater good. For the greater good, yeah. Um, but yeah, I think so, yeah. then you pulled out the fact that like Harry's outside the box thinking gives us hints as to why Quirrell's so worried about what he might do. Yeah. And I just put magic plus desperate creativity equals probable disaster. Because <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's one thing, you know, if you're constrained by physics and like, I don't know, the the rules of regular Earth, like you can only cause so much damage. Yeah. Um, you know, if you and I set our lives to the task, I doubt either of us could get our hands on a nuke, right? But not with that like, attitude. I, I certainly hope not. I hope it's too hard <laughs> for one, you know, uh, desperate and, and creative person to try and get their hands on. Yeah. But like, the the thing is, all these children are running around with potential nukes in their hands, right? It's just all you have to do is twist it the right way and say the right thing or something. Like, it's not clear where an, where an, these spells come from. But an armed society is a polite society. <laughs> Um, yeah, yeah, you know it's lots interesting. Of, like, uh, low rates of crime, maybe I don't know. Yeah, exactly. They do have a full prison. That's not true. Uh, they're freedom ones. Um, what the other thing that uh, came up for me again in this conversation was the ways. It's kind of like the the disconnect between like Quirrell's like Superman brain, like and the way we're, like the way that's presented to us is like you know Quirrell's hyper competence and you know being able to arrive at any logical conclusion that needs to be arrived at. But what comes out in these kinds of conversations though, is the, the, the disconnect between Quirrell that like a, like muggle science is this sort of like interesting bit of trivia to him and maybe a slightly new piece of information that he's starting to, you know, assign significance to, but that it's basically something that he's just been not for lack of, of having the information available to him, but just like out of disinterest um, doesn't, hasn't, up till now put much significance in science. Um, but that also like the way, like we see Quirrell be very clever a lot of the time. Um, but two things like, Hey, we never see him show his work. Um, he just like, well, it's obvious. And then like, you know, post facto uh, comes to the right conclusion. Um, but that also like, we don't see Quirrell or maybe I'm wrong, but it, it feels like we don't see Quirrell, um, like system, like not being rationalist in that, like he doesn't approach things in a systematic way. He doesn't like, you know, test hypotheses. He doesn't eliminate possibilities. He just kind of like, he either magically already knew the answer or he's just not interested in knowing. Um, which I thought was interesting because like we have like Harry and Coral are the, the two like super geniuses in the story. Um, but that's like a big gap in, in how Coral works and all of the like success and competence we see out of him is just kind of like you know pulled out of a hat it's just like well just because he knows because he's awesome um yeah we don't really see him i mean we see him make deductions where he lays out his line of reasoning like a la sherlock holmes but it's just about as satisfying as watching sherlock do it where it's like okay cool yeah you you laid it all out 
in this like carefully reasoned thing, but it's, yeah, it's totally like Texas sharpshooter. It's just, well, of course, now that you know it, then you can pretend that you knew it the whole time. Yeah. And you're right. It's interesting. Cause he's, he's not interested in science. Um, and I think this is a common like wizard misconception. Um, like they picture science as equal to technology. And so mm. like Quirrell says he's interested in space travel and he's afraid of nukes, but like, he doesn't think about like what process generates these things. Yeah. And, and it's kind of interesting. That seems like a failure of his rationality to not be like curious about, okay, well, how the hell do they make nukes? How the hell did they get to the moon? Um, like well, wizards, what... wizards can't do either of those things. So now, now he's, you know, the, the process by which it's like watching, uh, you know, chimpanzees use a stick to fish ants out of an anthill, except they imagine like, so we see that and like, Oh yeah, that's cute. But if they were doing something that we just straight up had no fucking clue how they did it, it would be like super lazy of us as, you know, any human with a modicum of scientific question, questioning to them to watch watch a chimp do something that we think is impossible or inexplicable and just be like, oh, yeah, well, they're chimps. That's cute. Well, look at them. Um, yeah, it, yeah it, just, it just seems like it's a failure of, of, of Quirrell's clever thinking to not be curious about the process by which muggles are doing these, this, these awesome things. Yeah. And the way you just said, you said like a failure of his rationality. And that made me think like, I don't know that you, you can't really call Coral rationalist. Like he doesn't do any of those things. He like, he, he's got the, you know, rationalist scent. Like he smells like a rationalist, um, but he doesn't actually do any of the, the things. He just, he's just constantly there saying, Oh my God, you people are too dumb to know this thing. I already knew. But he never shows his work, and we never actually see him doing anything that would cause somebody to arrive at that place. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. I mean, like we see like Harry, Harry do it. Yeah, we see Harry do it. But Quirrell's always just like it was just always like it's just it's just like a superficial magic trick from Quirrell's part. We don't when he comes to one of those conclusions, we don't ever see like how he did it, or you know, it's just like oh, he just kind of magically knew the right thing. Yeah, like you know, Harry quote used his rationality to deduce how stupid the snitch was and mm-hmm. Quirrell also thinks the snitch is stupid but it's like we you know maybe Quirrell just hates the sport like or, you know, yeah. he probably doesn't recognize how stupid the snitch is but like that's also like not a hard problem yeah. to you know notice right um yeah I you know I guess uh it is called Harry Potter and the methods of rationality not queerness Quirrell and the methods Quirrell. of rationality yeah. well yeah and I think that's maybe like queerness Quirrell yeah. and the methods of psychopathy exactly and the <laughs> Uh, Quirrell and the methods of unfound arrogance. Um, <laughs> the but I yeah but I think like that's I think that's like the point there is that like we're trying to like divide that line between like what counts at, like what is rational and a like good way of interacting with your world versus what's just being the douchebag comic book guy, and that we're seeing because they can look very similar, like that, that hyper competence from Quirrell that's like super appealing and, Oh, I wish I was that cool. Um, can look like can smell like rationality that it's, you know, well now he has all the answers. And so he must've done that through, you know, some kind of methodical logical process, but no, he's just kind of pulling it out of his ass and then lording it over people. Um, so he's like, he's got the, the cosmetic look of sciencey rationalist genius, but he's not actually doing any of the work that Harry does do. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I should, I guess, disclose, I'm not playing with a full deck of cards tonight. I, I took off, a, I don't know, Thursday and Friday last week, didn't have to work yesterday. So like I'm coming off of a five day weekend and then I had to work all day. So my brain's a little fried, but I high. can't think of any, I can't think of a good, uh, <laughs> like example of quarrel being like, I mean, I get how, 
I guess what I'm trying to think of is examples where we get to see him show his work on how smart he is. And yeah, I don't think we do. Like, it's almost kind of like the, that's like part of what makes it seem appealing. Cause it did. Cause then that, like if you don't show his work, then it almost makes him look even like more super powerful. Cause he just knows everything at all moments. Right. The more effortless yeah. it looks, the more like skill it looks like he has. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I think that's right. kind of the point. Like that's, yeah, he doesn't. And, uh, yeah, yeah, I guess I'll, I'll follow this conversation on the Discord and see how people tell me that we're wrong because that's that is an interesting <laughs> thought, and I'm, 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 I think I'm missing something, but like, well, I mean, but I think it fits. Like, it's an interesting thought to chase down yeah. that like he he strikes me much more like a, um, like a. I mean, I, it's hard not to keep thinking of Sherlock, um, but that's it. I mean, that's a good analogy though but i think i think that's on purpose i think we are supposed to like there's there's nothing about coral is not a role model in any way he's i I think intentionally uh like enticing like tempting and like and that's kind of the point to be like oh you think you want this but don't do it this like the temptation you're by wanting to be this guy you might do it this way and it's just kind of a hollow arrogant douchiness that gets you nowhere and ultimately can't accomplish anything like you can't build on itself um and so yeah so i think that's like that's the point and and we get to see and because that kind of like his complete dead antenna on human empathy and the arrogance and the um and just kind of the trickery to it too that it's a lot of the time it's just like smoke and mirrors i think that's kind of like the point that he doesn't do the real rationality things um and so he's only the the superficial temptation of awesomeness and not the actual substance underneath it. I like that. Yeah, I, I maybe we'll find examples of him applying ingenuity and solving a hard problem or something later. But yeah. up to this point, I, 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 I like the, I, yeah, I like that phrasing. I like the that framing, rather, and mm-hmm. I like that conversation. I think that's interesting. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know quite how to segue this back other than to say we're talking about Quirrell because Quirrell shows up. <laughs> I mean, it, yeah, I just kind of fast forwarded to that the whole time. So, yes, this is the conversation that they've been having. Yeah. So Quirrell, sh- oh, yeah, that's, oh, yeah, because Harry's walking out in the, in the sun, but invisible. Um, and uh, and it started, the, the phrasing was a little interesting because he's starting to talk. To me, I had thought like, because he gets this like sense of foreboding thing. And I at first was reading that as he's starting to think of like more and more kind of, uh, like cosmically cosmic levels of dangerous ideas about what he can do with, uh, with magic and science that, um, that I started to think like, Oh, maybe like he's even starting to freak himself, out, freak himself out a little bit. But then it turns that, out like, that no, was my reading too. Yeah. That, yeah. I'm wondering if that was there on purpose, but, but what it really was was just like, that was his like spidey sense going off cause Coral was nearby. Um, and which then, I th- and, and, uh, and so Coral's like, I know you're here. You know, I know you're here. Can we stop fucking around? Um, but then, yeah, and then you pointed out to her, like the, he basically uses that spidey sense thing to be able to just like triangulate on Harry, like, and describe him, it almost sounded like they were describing like him doing like waltz dance moves. Like he steps forward and then he steps sideways and then he steps back. Um, it's kind of like, uh, if you're centering in like on what you see as like a, a target on like the overhead compass on a video game and yeah. you're like, once you move left a little bit and like the, the, the marker moves a lot, yeah. you know, it's right over there. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, or it's just like Geiger counter. Yeah, and then Harry doesn't feel like talking, so he uh, used the time turner once, and then uh, I guess finishes his walk, and then goes back and tells uh, um, Professor McGonagall that he's out talking to the defense professor. And then when he 
he goes back to the same location an hour after this and then uses the time turner again to kind of just blip. And yeah. Coral's like, what was that? He's <laughs> like, never mind. Uh, Not important. Yeah. Don't worry about it. <laughs> and uh, I like this. This is actually funny, too, as long as we're trying to fill this with segues. Um, he says, uh, yes, I'm still resolved. And to be honest, I'm thinking I shouldn't have said anything. And he says, a sentiment which shall serve you well in life. Is there mm-hmm. anything which is liable to change your mind? And he says, Professor, if I already knew about the existence of an argument which would change my decision, uh, this reminds me that uh, at the end of Sam Harris's podcasts, he does like, uh, what do you call them? I guess it's like eight or f- half a dozen or so of these like just cached questions that I don't find all that interesting. Like, mm-hmm. what advice would you give yourself uh, in your, or what would you do? Dif- would you, what would you have done differently in your twenties or something? Or if you're starting out in your career, or what advice would you give to somebody starting out in your line of work? Um, or what scientific problem would you like the answer to? But one of them is like, what is something that you're doing now that uh, I, I want to get the exact phrasing right? Cause it's obviously absurd. Like what is something that you're doing now that you think you'll regret? <laughs> um, and it, I, that might, I, the wording might be something uh, a little different than that, but it's close, but people have answers for that. And like, and what's interesting, cause Harry or Quirrell points out, he's like true for the likes of us. Like if you're aware of an argument that would change your mind, um, but he says, you'd be surprised how often someone knows their, knows what they're waiting to hear and yet must wait to hear it. Um, yeah. Like mo- know, yeah. most people answer that question and they'll be like, oh yeah, I wish I was working out more. Or I wish I had a better diet or whatever. And I could fill a, you know, a list yeah. of things I wish I was doing differently. But when Elias Yudkowsky was on Sam Harris's podcast, his answer to that question was, well, if I was aware of something I was doing now that I regret it, I wouldn't be doing it. <laughs> Yeah, and so he, he's the only one who gave the correct answer to that question. Well, yeah, no, but see, that's no, I don't think that's the correct answer because, I mean, yes, it's the correct, like, that's what you should do. But the, I think anybody is fooling themselves if they think that any of the, like, unhealthy behaviors or just things that they regret later uh, were because of a conscious choice. Like, you're, you're stuck with the, you know, responsibility of cleaning up the mess. But, like, there's so many things we do that even, even fully aware, like, the thing that's sticking in my head is, like, addiction behaviors. Like, you can have an addict who is fully aware of the, you know, damage that they are doing to themselves and even consciously making a decision not to and that conscious decision not actually turning into a change in behavior. Um, and so that's, like, the most extreme sense of it. But, like, we all do little versions of that all the time. Oh, totally. Um, yeah, and I think, and that's what I was like. What I should say is he gave the very Quirrell and Harry answer to. Oh yeah, I guess um, so. yeah, but like, like, but there's, so there's me, a danger like, in I, like, there's a danger in thinking you aren't doing it. Right. I think that I I agree, and certainly you know if you surround yourself with people who are uh, capable of pointing out, like by the way, Stephen, you shouldn't be wasting three hours a day watching whatever reruns or pointless television when you could be reading all those books you've been meaning to read mm-hmm. or. Um, you know, you should, you really should spend your lunch break, like getting up and going for a walk, not playing video games because you're already sitting at your desk all day. Like I, like I said, I could, I would have no trouble filling out this list myself. And so it's, it would be, I, I guess I'm curious if anyone wouldn't have something on that list. And if they, if they can imagine somebody that doesn't like what's going on there, that is interesting. Yeah. And I think uh, a lot of times, like, what... how are you spending all of your time optimally? Yeah. If you can do that, tell me how, and I want to teach me your secrets. <laughs> yeah. Well, and and then the like bullshit we'll do too is like just sort of work backwards and like just come up with a justification for the thing that you wanted to do anyway was the optimal behavior, when that's just not actually true. Totally. Um, yeah. Like I like I said, I mean, I, I I I recognize it as a full failure, something that actually bums me out. Like I don't read nearly as much as I used to, but I do watch more TV than I used to, and like why the hell is that? Yeah. Um, 
anyway, so back to the book. Again, we're, we're, we're filling the airtime because we're just running through these <laughs> chapters, everybody. This is going to be a two-hour episode, so if you're lucky. Yeah, where, where are we at right now? We were on track to finish on like 90 minutes, but I think we're, we're going to be able to pull this out for another hour. So <laughs> um, anyway, I like this. Uh, to put it in your terms, there is a true fact known to me, but not to you, of which I'd like to convince you, Mr. Potter. And he says, that, that is in my terms, all right. Go ahead. And he's I liked about attention. that. What was that? I liked because, and that made sense, like as you first reading it, but then going through a second time, there was kind of almost quarrel. Like he's just using the words, but doesn't quite get it right. Because the quote, true fact um, that he wants to share is just his opinion about the the danger of what he thinks Harry's going to try to do. So it's like he he knew all the right words to get Harry to listen to what he was saying, but he didn't. It was like he used it wrong. Because <laughs> what he really I, meant was, I'm trying to convince you of something, but. I have a true fact. Like you don't have, there was no, he was not sharing a fact. Yeah. I mean, I guess it's, it's a fact of like, um, that you, you, that you can't empirically demonstrate to somebody. Um, but you could tell, I, am trying to think of like an analogous earthly fact that like, um, I don't know, someone doing something stupid and you could say, look, I, I can tell you that this is a really stupid idea. Um, well, that's still, yeah, that's still, yeah, that's still, yeah. to you unless you actually do it, yeah. and then we observe how stupid it was. But he frames he frames it as a like, okay, here's just there's just this thing you happen not happen not to know about, and if I tell you, then that will change your mind because I'm just providing more data for you. But that's not really what he's doing at all. He's just trying to make an argument and convince Harry of it. So yeah, it's like, I like he, tried, he tried on the I, vocabulary, I guess, but like didn't use it quite right. Yeah, no, I, I I hear what you're saying. I think that you know a a powerful uh, learned magus giving you caution is actually data about something, but now we're just splitting hairs. Um, I also just like the, when he was, cause that's what he's telling uh, McGonagall in the last one. He's just like, you know, I, as David Monroe, I'm a on par with Dumbledore. And I think this is a bad, you know, like he, he's, he's yeah. listing his, his credentials so yeah. that he will, uh, which in a, in a legitimate, that, that legitimately does uh, bolster like your case. Like, I could say some random bullshit, but if I said, no, look, man, I've been doing this for 30 years. Trust me, this is a bad idea. Um, mm. Then like the fact that they've been doing it for 30 years is actually evidence that I should listen to them. Yeah. Yeah. I think what worked about it for me was that um, it was like another way that like, uh, like Harry's actually rationalist and Quirrell's just kind of pretending in a way or like not quite, it's not quite sure how it works. So there's another yeah. one of those disconnects where it's like, so he was like, he, he used, he used the right words in the right way. Um, but there was, there was like a disconnect between like when Harry speaks that way, he's, you know, it's real and Quirrell's just more using it like a, like a costume. Yeah. Harry would grab a book or do an experiment to demonstrate after saying those words. Yeah. Um, no, I like that. That's, that's, it's a framing on Quirrell I hadn't considered before, but now I'm going to try and just consider everything I've seen him do in that frame and. I'll have to get back to you once I've mentally gone through the entire book so do, in my head. Do you think, so has it, was kind of your baseline through all of this that Quirrell is also rationalist? I think the fact that you see him come to all the conclusions that Harry does and do so with more apparent ease is like evidence that he is even better at this than Harry, right? Yeah. Um, like, but like you pointed out, you don't see him put in any other work. Yeah. And... So, like, while that could be because it is effortless, because he is just actually this crazy good expert, um, it's it's also just like, you know, it he, he's not a blowhard. Like, he is powerful. He is uh, clever. Yeah. Um, but he, he doesn't seem to be... We were talking about it in the context of, like, is Quirrell a rationalist? Like, do we see him yeah. put in the actual work? And I... 
I think, like I said before, it just, and I, I'm not sure if I've completely come around, but it's, but it's just, it's an idea that I'm really enjoying. Um, the, my, my conclusion before was like, uh, you, you see him, he, well, again, he passes the, the sniff test. So mm. therefore, you know, that must be the case. Um, yeah, it's, yeah, I think it works for me because it's like, it validates all the ideas of, of rationality. Cause it's like, okay, he's not really doing it. And also he's a psycho. Um, like it at least bolsters the idea that like a rational approach to things will not support psychopathic behavior. Right. Yeah. I like that too. Um, it's something to think about. Um, I am losing my train of thought, so I'll just drag us back to the text, I guess. Um, basically Quirrell's trying to argue him into believing how, uh, like this is a, a dangerous, again, magic plus desperate creativity equals probable disaster. Mm-hmm. And I like how he's listing out all these false, like these uh, made up examples. Well, whatever. Um, these uh, wizarding examples of like people thinking outside the box and doing crazy but stupid things. And the only one to recognize is the Elric brothers. And uh, that was from uh, Full Metal Alchemist. Uh, more references I didn't get. But yeah, I'm assuming the rest are all references to other cool things. But. Um, yeah, there were, name, there were names, names dropped a couple other places that I imagined were probably references. Yeah. Oh, um, I guess before they actually get to that point, he says, this is the last time I'll be able to do oh, this yeah, for yeah. you. And he does the the star spell again. Mm-hmm. Which that, yeah, so he says that and we don't ever, um, we don't get any explanation as to like why or what that means. Um, and Harry doesn't even seem to really ask. Um, but yeah, because yeah, he's like... He, yeah, he's like, I'm not, this is the last time we'll be able to do it. And Harry's just like, mm, okay. Yeah, he doesn't ask him. I, I I, think we get a clue at the end of the chapter. And Harry did think about this earlier that, like, after the bully thing and Quirrell was, like, uh, just, like, I yeah, don't know, like doing that thing where he sits hallway, limply yeah. in his chair. Yeah. Um, like, he wasn't zombie because he was talking, but he just seemed fatigued. Yeah. It seems like this fatigued the fuck out of him to the point where he's crawling mouth agape back to the castle afterwards. Yeah. And, uh, maybe that's why he can't do it again. Cause he's, cause his he's mana pool his, is being drained. Yeah. Yeah. it sounds like, Oh but yeah. If it is like a mana pool thing, like he's permanently losing it. Hmm. So, yeah. Yeah. I thought it, was, it seemed like this, this time with the zombie thing, uh, seemed like, like it had kicked up a notch because it was like, well, a, he just sort of like collapses right there, but then he, he is in that weird sort of like, there's some weird animal brain still, you know, alive in that body as, it, and that thing is trying to like crawl back to the castle, but the like quarrel isn't there. So it was a kind of a weird, I think that's the kind of the most direct way we've seen that so far. Um, but yeah, and that was at the, so at the end of that whole conversation, then like quarrel stops the spell. And then that's basically, he's like, okay, good day. And then he basically just collapses having pulled off like a very like quarrel kind of like pretending it was no big deal until he completely collapsed. Right. Yeah, there, there's a lot to unpack in this conversation, though. Um, I do like how, and uh, again, the audiobook does this great because it does the Sphere of Stars music that someone put together for this, uh, for these scenes. Uh, yeah, the music playing in the background in the audiobook was a uh, was- fan contribution to the book. Nice. And um, like Quirrell's, I don't know what you call it, uh, reflecting on the peacefulness of space and how there's none mm-hmm. of this, you know, the, the bullshit that humanity brings to it. Um and he says, there, here there is peace and eternal and silence eternal. So I once thought. And I know that's probably uh, like Coral's freaked out because he's like the levels of Harry's power now threaten even that. Exactly. Um, that 
it is possible with sufficiently intelligent stupid idiocy mm-hmm. to threaten the stars themselves. <laughs> intelligent idiocy. Yeah, and, so, and then so he brings up like the uh, the pioneer um, plate, uh, the gold plate, um, and maybe I couldn't remember like how how much of that had been established that like was it already a thing that like oh he, that thing is a Horcrux or was that like hinted at or did was it strongly hinted at? Because it pretty um, much lays it out. But. If you're all it said in the uh, when Harry, when he told Harry about it was that he snuck into NASA and cast a spell on it to make it last longer than it otherwise would. Okay, uh, and so we didn't know this. So now we know what that meant, but we didn't know enough at the time. Yeah, because it was sort of like this was like semi to me. It was, it was like this was semi new information, but also not new information. I... Well, so if so, you're, you're now you're running at this with the. Uh, you know, crack brain notion that Quirrell is Voldemort and that <laughs> the, the pioneer plaque is a Horcrux. Um, so if, if that's the case, let's, let's then, just say Quirrell, that, that actually adds street cred to Quirrell being smart. Right. Yeah. And that, also, like yeah. that, that's the thing, like in, in Canon, Voldemort, you know, made all this obvious magic shit. His Horcrux is mm-hmm. if, like, but if you really want to live forever, you pine, you, you Horcrux the pioneer plaque and send it shooting off into who knows where in space. Mm-hmm. That'll guarantee that it lasts forever. Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, it's also interesting, like, that's, so that's sort of, like, very conspicuously science thing, but, like, in the way that he used it was very kind of just, um, it's a word, I'm, I would say utilitarian, but that's a, a loaded word in rationalist things, but, like, like it's just very it log, log, logistical, it's just, like, he's, the, his use of that um, probe was not any kind of science thing at all, he's just like, oh, this is a thing that will go very far away, I can use that. Um, with like, and so the and he didn't like go any more than just scratching the, the surface of it that way. Um, and just sort of like, and that's a way like he's re- just regarding space as a thing that's very far away and that will never be you know, like, it, you know, it's safe because nothing will ever go there. Um, as opposed to like Harry's attitude towards it is, um, like this is the place we're going to go. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. I mean, it would be hard to catch up to the pioneer plaque, but, yeah. um, yeah, no, I, I, that's an interesting. Yeah. You're right. He, he's using it, and I think utilitarian is. You know, it has the multiple uses, yeah. but I think that's a perfectly appropriate use. That like, it's it is just a. It, I mean, maybe he did it because he found space beautiful or something. Like clearly, he does this spell because he likes space. Yeah. Or maybe he's just doing it to fuck with Harry. But yeah, um, well, that makes me wonder. He like, seems he seems to really yeah. like it. Well, it makes me wonder. Yeah, I, I like my impression is that he does too. But I'm wondering now, are do they have very different reasons for why they like that? Does like does Quirrell just look at that as like, okay, this is going to be my, you know, the way that I escape death. Like this is the, I'm looking at the beautiful thing and it's beautiful because it's the safest place for me to hide a Horcrux as opposed to like, and it's some like, you know, very almost kind of simple way of looking at it. Um, and because Quirrell's kind of this like emotionally damaged person, like that's all he can, that's as much beauty as he's capable of seeing. It's just a, Oh, here's the thing that's going to help me live forever. And Harry looks at it more like the way we all do is just like the, you know, beauty potential of it and human endeavor. And, um, and that maybe, maybe they're not seeing it, seeing it the same way. And maybe Quirrell's version of it is much more shallow. Yeah, no, that, that's a good point. I don't get the impression that Quirrell is, you know, moved to tears watching a rocket yeah. launch. Like, you know, yeah. we and Harry are, yeah. um, Quirrell would probably think that that sort of sentiment is ridiculous. Um, yeah. That, hmm. Anyway, um, Harry's trying to talk him down from, you know, being spooked about that because he's like, look, the sun won't even ever be able to destroy the Pioneer uh, Pioneer 11. Like, this isn't that big of a deal. 
and nukes aren't that scary. Um, and he says, true, while we speak of muggles, but what do muggles know of true power? It is not they who frighten me now. It is you. And I like this because he resorts to a D&D language. Uh-huh. He says, Professor, while I admit I've rolled a few critical failures in my life, <laughs> there's a bit of a distance between that and missing a saving throw so hard that the Pioneer 11 probe gets caught in the blast radius. <laughs> <laughs> how, many, how many ones in a row is that? Too many. <laughs> I know it's but kind of like implied behind that is like Quirrell was up to speed to that extent. So the Quirrell is worried at a scale bigger than just this solar system. Like Quirrell's got an awareness of like, oh, this is like, you know, threat of reality levels of dangerous. Yeah. And I am trying to think of like how to, I guess, probe this idea. And I think probe is like my mind because they keep saying pioneer probe. Um, like I'm trying to get get your brain going as to like why Coral is so freaked out. I think, yeah. So my, so it seems the, the big one from the last chapter or from the chapters from last week was that like that Quirrell miscalculated and why he keeps coming back to like, why are you doing this for Hermione? Like, so Quirrell realizes that he is fucked up and that he was just seeing Hermione as this like obstacle in his way. And, and he, you know, remove the obstacle in a very cold quarrel kind of way. Uh, and now he's almost like surprised and annoyed. And but and the annoyance has increased to alarm that like, oh, shit, like, um, like he's going to go to the wall for her. Um, that doesn't make it like and in, in his mind. That doesn't make any sense. Like she's not worth it. Um, so but it, I guess it does seem so that's sort of his like um, the level of it where he's um where he like miscalculated, but I, I guess I'm thinking, but the level of alarm though, is that I guess he's becoming like just increasingly aware of the, the danger of that combination. Um, but I don't know why that doesn't seem quite right to me though, because there's like nothing new in that sense that hasn't changed at all. Like Harry was, hasn't become more dangerous other than he was, you know, possible willingness to, to do it and maybe that's his level of alarm i'm wondering if it's like like whatever plan quarrel has had harry as like a contained you know variable um and now that he sees uh harry like slipping away from him because he miscalculated so badly on the importance of a friend um that now he's worried about what it was that he has caused to have happened um but that doesn't still quite fit quite right because like the miscalculation of, of the importance of Hermione to him is just sort of like the he should have already been pretty f- freaked out about like oh I really have to get this right like if if that's his worry of just like what damage Harry could potentially do uh, he should have already been fr- freaked out yeah and there's something about maybe Harry's now like desperate resolution yeah. whereas before he was like I'm gonna try and figure out magic and it was just like a thing he was going to eventually try to investigate um, yeah, I get, yeah I guess, he seems yeah, or that like he, just hell bent on climbing as fast as he can to get to godhood. Yeah, or which, that he that Coral thought that he would have had, like if Harry was just at normal levels of scientific curiosity and what he could accomplish with uh, science and magic, that uh, that the timeline on that was long enough that Coral would have time to, you know, do with Harry how what whatever his fiendish plans are were going to have happened by then. But now, if like suddenly Harry's just gone full aggro. Um, that now Quirrell doesn't have as much time to try to 
you know, get him under control. Hmm. I don't know. I don't know. That does, yeah. I mean, I guess that'll, none of that like super clicks for me though. I feel, ah, like, I feel, like, I'm, I feel like I'm missing something. Maybe there's a clue you missed somewhere. Um, I will just leave you the homework assignment of thinking about that while we move on <laughs> to the chapter. Um, so let's see. Um, yeah, so basically Quirrell's, again, he's trying to uh, like argue with Harry every way you can think of like by pointing out that Hermione would probably disagree with like anything that you're thinking of trying of doing. Um, and he's like, okay, yeah, I'm not going to like kill more than two, you know, if I kill two people to save Hermione, I realize that that's a net loss. Like, I'm not going to do that. Um, Hermione would want me to risk destroying a whole country just to save her. Come on. And he says, child who destroys to mentors. If it was only one country I feared you might ruin, I would be less concerned. I did not first credit your knowledge of muggle science and muggle practices would be a great source or be a source of great power. I now credit it more. I am in complete sincerity concerned for the safety of that golden plaque. I just, I like the, you know, Quirrell's not beating around the bush. He's yeah. talking with, you know, intense gravity here. Um, and uh, let's see. Um, oh, the, this is the bit where rather than try and talk him out of it, he's like, okay, well, why do you give a shit? Like, why do you care about this girl? Yeah. <laughs> and this this is uh, like, oh, yeah, I think yeah. he said this when he was talking with Quirrell, uh, when he was guarding Hermione's body where he's like, I think your own issues, issues are showing, Professor. <laughs> but it's like. Why do I care about my friend? Because fuck you. That's why. Like, <laughs> she's my friend. Yeah, like yeah, Quirrell's just not wired that way. He doesn't. He doesn't get it. But of course, he does point out. He says in the English language, as is customarily used, Mister Potter, the word "friend" is not associated with a desperate effort to raise the dead. <laughs> <laughs> Some of his lines are are funny in their seriousness, um, and this is where he points out that like. Uh, uh, He's like you, nobody you would do. Nobody here. would do for you what you're going to try to do for Hermione. Yeah, yeah. And, and you grabbed a, a semi-large quote about um, uh, like the role people who play the yeah. role of friendship. Yeah, we did. Um, yeah, so because Harry's uh, Harry's like, well, because she's my friend, and um, and this is part of like Coral basically saying like, but you are doing what nobody else would do for you, which Harry sort of rejects on two levels, but. Um, that's what Quirrell says is people play the role of friendship. They do just as much as that role requires of them and no more. The thought occurs to me <clears throat> that perhaps the difference between you and them is not that you care more than they do. Why would you have been born with such unusually strong emotions of friendship that you alone among wizard kind are driven to resurrect Hermione Granger after her death? No, the most likely difference is not that you care more. It is that being a more logical creature than they, you alone have thought that playing the role of friend would require this of you. Um, and it says that this this gave Harry pause. Yeah, I think like so Harry's sort of like um like like the first part that he rejects is just like when he says like, Oh well nobody would do this for you and Harry's like, Well yeah, they totally if like if the idea occurred to them, they totally would. Um and Quirrell doesn't even really buy that. Um Yeah, I think that um well, because you'd asked here, like, why is that reason more believable than because, you know, uh um it was like why why is the idea that you're just playing a role. Why did that give Harry pause? I think that you asked that in the notes. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, because because so Coral's saying like, well, it's not that you know you're not doing this because you're just you know way better of a friend than any other human before you. Um, you basically says you're doing this because you know you and me are the only smart people on the planet, um, which like coming from Coral's mouth doesn't it sounds quirly but not totally um, ridiculous. But it kind of like he's saying like, okay, you're not. Uh, it would be silly to think that you're just that much more 
you know, emotionally mature than anybody else, but not silly to think that you are, you know, the second smartest human on the planet and like, and that somehow that is a more plausible explanation that like the, the, both, both reasons are, are crap, but it was kind of weird that, um, that like the whole like grandiose, like over, uh, assessment of his own awesomeness, uh, is like, and I think like, and Harry buys it, and buys into it too. So they kind of rubbed me the wrong way. Cause I, I think maybe like this was like, we were supposed to question that like, well, Clearly, Harry is, you know, the um, smartest character in the entire book and the only person that ever would have occurred to to try to live forever. And we find out later that that's actually not the case. Harry is not the first um, to have tried to do it. Um, but yeah, it just sort of was like falling back on the kind of like easy idea that, oh, well, you know, the rest of the world is just stupid and we're smart. I think that that's part of it. But he's basically asking like that you're signaling this because you're you're smart enough to realize that this is an obvious signal of caring um, or the other you know the, the other peasants out there don't realize that this is an obvious signal of caring and that that's more I think why it actually because uh, Harry says he would be lying if he claimed not not to be shaken um, like I think that it's more plausible that so Quirrell's saying like you know you're just pretending to like you're signaling your friendship to Hermione by by doing this like you don't really care this is just a very mm. powerful signal of giving a shit and i think what's fun about this is that like that's the that's one of the fun like uh twists of signaling is that like most signals are true most of the time or at least some are some of the time and like uh the the fact that he is d- driven this hard is a signal that he really cares about Hermione and the only reason that he's the one who, or that, like, why is he the first one to think of like resurrecting the dead? Well, because it hadn't occurred to anyone else, and so since it did occur to him, he feels compelled to do it because otherwise, it's like he's he's signaling that he doesn't care. So to someone without emotion, like Quirrell, like he, that's the lens through which only, Quirrell yeah, is seeing. I think this. it's only signaling. Yeah, and so like the fact is that it is a signal, but it's not only signaling. Um, because we're in Harry's head, we know that he actually cares. Yeah. And it's kind of like, uh, I put this in the notes, a possible analogy to cryonics, question mark, question mark. Um, yeah, I didn't like, follow you on that si- one. Signing up for cryonics is a strong signal that you care about living forever. And an untreadable person might accuse you of saying, well, you're just signaling that you're an eccentric who you know wants to be seen as somebody who doesn't want to die or something. And that is mostly true, except for the just part, right? Yeah. Um, so I think that's that's what's going on here is that like yes this is an expensive signal that I'm sending but I'm sending it because like I actually mean it um it's not like a cheap signal like uh I don't know uh like you bought you know, the bumper sticker exactly put on bumper sticker buy somebody flowers or whatever mm-hmm. um all those things are cheap and easy it's it's like this is this is an expensive and difficult signal which also ups the like uh uh I'm blanking on the proper vocabulary for this but um yeah it, it ups the the stakes there and i'm totally dropped the ball on the last part of that but i i, I got the ball if, uh, rolling everyone else will do the, the point the point was made okay yeah i guess what i wished um with a lot of this in these chapters i wish we had seen more of uh especially because with like this idea of roles um we keep seeing harry as the example of doing it right in the almost in the kind of how I've been talking about it with Quirrell, like, but we don't really show, we don't see Harry going through the struggle of how to get it right. Like we saw a little bit of McGonagall doing it. We see 
McGonagall fail to break out of a role and then pushing herself to do it and and the struggle that that was and how it was like awkward and uncomfortable for her. I wish we had seen more of that with Harry, especially because there is so much going on with like him, especially the whole like boy who lived role that he's playing, um, that there's a lot there for this to be applying to how Harry is behaving. And we don't get to see Harry work through that stuff. We just get to see him like do it right as an example, you know, to contrast against the people doing it wrong. Um, I wish we'd seen more like the McGonagall kind of way of doing it, like watching him realizing the ways that he's doing it and working his way towards not doing it anymore rather than because what he does do is, is all pretty kind of automatic and just feels like a like it was just kind of, you know, prepackaged for us. Yeah, I, I hear what you're saying. Like he doesn't do a lot of the um, like, I mean, there's some growth, but it, it seems less radical than what we saw McGonagall do. We yeah. saw Hermione have a self-actualization arc. We saw Draco, you know, forsake his family and his his, uh, you know, whatever his neo-Nazi clique to yeah. um you know to awaken as somebody with empathy and uh we don't really have harry doing a, a jump like that yeah. and i i agree it would be yeah it'd make uh, it feel like less finger waggy it feels a little a little luxury about like oh this is the way one ought to do it but not showing like well what would that look like oh. one's left to wonder then if that yeah. might be the point um <laughs> <laughs> uh like if 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 we take matt's uh idea of charity to the author and say like everything is intentional um maybe maybe that's on purpose but i do like that observation and i agree it would be cool to see something like that um there was a another thing you pulled about um let's see oh it was that he wouldn't tell mcgonagall about the the whole idea to resurrect hermione because she's you know not practiced on from reading off script i know which sounded like it's almost then like not almost it's kind of silly then to hear it i guess that point it sort of became i was more aware of like okay this is an 11 year old kid uh talking about how the uh old lady future headmistress of hogwarts just doesn't have enough life experience yet um, <laughs> or like too that, much life experience you know they're, of the wrong kind ways, yeah she's just but, you know she just yeah. doesn't have the kind of wisdom that you and i have coral um and that, but that reminded me like that attitude is is very coralish in that um, the, you know, only I can fix this. Like, oh, we can't, you know, share that information with McGonagall because she's just not as enlightened as you and I. Um, and so that kind of, that leaves Harry isolated. Um, and that, and that's, which is like a, like both a way that Quirrell acts, but then also a way that is very useful to Quirrell to get Harry to act that way, um, to kind of, you know, shut him off from everybody else around him. Um, that just like, just not trusting, you know, other mortals to, you know, be able to handle the things that you have to handle. Yeah. I, all I put in the notes was that, uh, there's probably a moral in there somewhere. <laughs> um, you know, like if, if your avenue of thinking about other people leaves you constantly isolated and having to do everything yourself, uh, maybe you're doing something wrong. Right. Um, let's see. I did like this too, where Coral's finally lashing out and he like, it says his voice rose in pitch and he says, if it were you had been killed by that troll, it would not even occur to Hermione Granger to do as you were doing for her. It would, not occur, it would not occur to Draco Malfoy, nor to Neville Longbottom, nor to McGonagall, or any of your precious friends. Friends. And, like, he's he's just, this is somebody who, again, has never given a Christmas present, maybe never received yeah. one. And, like, it it's sad, because he's just, like, he doesn't get friendship. Um, yeah, and it's, it's so, like, like, when you put your 
head in like his headspace of saying that like that all sounds very convincing like like that kind of cynicism is really easy to fall into um but then yeah like from our point of view like i don't i don't at all surrender the argument that it wouldn't occur to hermione to try to raise harry from the dead um it's and not it's not a says, gimme but it's definitely I... not oh, sorry go ahead it's, it's not a gimme that she would but it's also not at all unlikely right and he even says like even if i granted that is true that that wouldn't stop me like it, even if i was the first person to, to think of this like and this is you know a just i don't know like I'm trying to think of, you know, another moral breakthrough. Like, I don't know, somebody arguing for veganism 5,000 years ago. Um, <laughs> like, no, I'm serious. Like, and they could say, look, even if I'm the only, you know, there are, and all of all this person's uh, um, society is, you know, saying, look, you're being an idiot. And, you know, no one else is doing this. You know, the animals wouldn't do it for you or whatever. And he's like, I don't give a shit. Like, I'm doing this because it's right. Somebody has to stand um, up for the grass. Right. <laughs> <laughs> the, the poor grass. Um, it's the tyranny of small-minded Brian Deacons. So thank goodness that grass is, <laughs> is probably definitely not sentient. Um, anyway, so then Harry, or then Quirrell finally says that, uh, okay, fine, you actually care about her in a way that none of them are capable of caring for their own lives, so, let alone each other. He, he has to put his cynicism yeah. sauce on it, but he does say, all right, so you actually care. I don't, I don't understand it, but fine. Um, and then he says... Uh, my offer still stands to, um, you know, give you whatever help I can. And this is when the, uh, he draws back the whatever stars and the daylight mm-hmm. is coming back. And I do like this too. Harry, uh, like his hands go to his uh, time turner and stuff as he's thinking, hey, I could be attacked while I'm blind because <laughs> uh, it suddenly got bright again. Um, let's see. Yeah, Quirrell says, yeah, show me some of the science books you gave Mr. Malfoy and I'll look them over and see what comes to mind. And yeah, that part I thought was interesting. Like, like he's not unwilling to start to learn the stuff, although like he had to be kind of forced into it, but like he wasn't, yeah. he wasn't going to do any of that if he was, if he'd have been able to talk Harry out of it. Yeah. I think that's it. He's like, fine. If I can't talk you out of it, I might as well not leave you, you know, alone yeah. to do this stupid thing. I'll try and uh, be there to, at the very least, keep you from going just fully off the rails. Um, and this is where he gets up and he's about to say, you know, goodbye or something. And he, uh, Oh, yeah. He says, good. The defense professor hesitated. Good day, Mr. Potter. And then Harry go- goes to say good. And then Quirrell just like falls over Foster, yeah. his head hitting the ground. And then like he pushes himself back up to crawling position. Eyes empty, mouth slack, tried to stand and fell back to the ground. And then it just goes crawling away from crawling to away from him in the general direction of the distant castle. Yeah. Yeah, and it made me wonder, like, how is that going to work? Is he just going to, like, drool his way back to the castle? I, I, I guess in my head they were, like, a good, you know, half mile away from the castle, like, you know, visible out in the distance, but not, like, nearby. And so he was just going to, like, crawl and drool across yeah, the ground to get back to the castle. Is he going to spend 45 minutes just crawling back? And, like, is Harry going to stand there and watch? Um. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, he just put himself in, like, his, like, you know, go-home setting, like he's a robot vacuum. <laughs> <laughs> he's just going to, like, bump into walls and walk around until he like lands back at his charging station like like a Roomba <laughs> on a low battery <laughs> all right moving on to chapter 96 rolls part seven and it says apparently for those who have not read canon the wooden sign has somewhat changed but the inscription here is the same as in jk rowling's original so um apparently 
the inscription on the sign is the same. I can't tell you in honesty that I remember the canon version of him ever visiting his parents' graves. I think, so, yeah, it was like, it was towards the end, but yeah. It must have been book seven, because that's the only time anything really important happened outside of Hogwarts, <laughs> other than that Quidditch game, the um, Quidditch Super Bowl. Oh, yeah. That was a cool scene. Um, and so, yeah, so Lupin uh, is taking him to Godric's Hollow. Is this the, our first time we've seen Lupin? Nah, man, he was there, was there? Uh, to teach Harry the Patronus charm. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. and he, then he told Harry about uh, the, you know, Peter, or, uh, yeah, Peter Pettigrew and Sirius Black and mm. uh, all that stuff. But, yeah, we, we, got, we got some of our nice homeboy Lupin earlier, and now he's back doing his awesome thing. I know, it's cool. Lupin, Lupin's just one of those, like, uh, I don't know, core, gooey center goodness guys. <laughs> I, know, like, right? I know, I like, the, I, and that's what maybe, I think, probably just, because of the contrast with um, Harry and Quirrell's interaction, like Lupin's also very humble um, in a way, like humble from a person that could pull off being arrogant. Um, yeah. In fact, I think Harry makes that observation the first time he sees him that yeah. like he's, he's wearing like shabby clothes and uh, it says humble was the first word that came to Harry's oh. mind. Um, he had seen people like pretend to be humble, but like this guy actually seemed humble. I'm forgetting yeah. the rest of the quote, but something like that. And you know, like they, I I was horrified when I learned that they sell like ninety dollars jeans that come, you know, holes pre ripped, and like you just I, learned this? No, no. When I did learn oh, this, like because I was, I mean, I'm like, why, why would you spend more money on stuff that doesn't even serve the proper function of of pants, but it serves another function, which is to like look fashionable by looking. Yeah. I saw a video of that being done in like a like the factory in China doing it to the. Like, so the guy had this, like, rasp thing to, like, rip the jeans. So he was, like, doing, like, the whole like the whole pair of jeans he, like, wore down in, like, 10 seconds. What a bummer because someone know, had so to make weird. them, right? I know, right? I think maybe it was when I was a kid I had, like, I'd done a load of laundry and somehow, and it happened to both knees. So maybe it wasn't in the laundry, but something something happened where it wasn't intentional. Like, the, the knees of my both on both sides of the whatever both knees got like ripped and my dad is asking like why why i ruined those pants to look like this whole tattered thing maybe this is where i learned about how you know the, the <laughs> thing of expensive fake pants like, but i'm like i didn't why would i ruin a pair of pants like that on purpose i don't know you kids these days <laughs> yeah but i, I, I had like to convince old... him that i truly didn't do it on purpose and i don't know how it <laughs> happened or some old like programmers podcast i used to listen to the the um the guy said he's like the uh Chinese manufacturing is applying the brute force algorithm to discover uh, what stupid shit will Americans buy. God, it's there are probably warehouses every... full of fidget cubes and <laughs> exactly. fidget spinners. Just like all possible permutations. And then die three months later. Yeah, exactly. I wonder how many unbought fidget cubes there are just sitting in boxes somewhere. <laughs> I'm, I'm betting on the around. order of hundreds of thousands. Yeah, I got my daughter a fidget cube a while ago. Oddly enough, she didn't find it very interesting. Yeah, they're fun for 10 minutes, yeah. if that. They're not even fun. They just, they, you, I mean, it's it's not as engaging as twirling a pen. So <laughs> anyway, we got Quirrell and Harry. Where are they? Godric's Hollow. Because Lupin and Harry. What, what will, uh, oh, what did I say, Quirrell? Yeah. That's right. Lupin, literally the opposite of Quirrell mm-hmm. and Harry. They are visiting uh, the graves of James Potter and Lily Evans. Yeah. And, like- uh. So I think at first we yeah. just in like like the first they go to the um, statue thing, 
the memorial thing, and then they go to the house, and then they go to the graveyard. Um, but so it starts, and then Harry, it starts out with like Harry's basically again, like politely saying, like, I really just don't want to talk about it, so could you stop uh, prying? And Lupin's mostly pretty cool about that, and he just kind of like lets Harry do his thing. There's some, uh, I th- oh yeah, but some uh, Harry's says that he was uh, told that he had to not be, he had to not wear his invisibility cloak. Um, and so then he's like, what did he call it? Moral certainty that uh, um, that Dumbledore and or uh, Mad-Eye Moody were uh, following them around invisible and that they were using him as bait. And this was the, this was the moment where Harry, the odd uh, observation from Harry that he decided that uh, all the danger is only at Hogwarts, so it's probably not that big a deal for him to be out here. Um, which seems strange to me. That's like the uh, the old joke. Um, you know, the the person heard that ninety percent of accidents occur at home, so they moved. <laughs> <That's right>. <laughs> <laughs> um, there was another little bit here where, uh, like, the first bit before the line break is from Lupin's point of view, and he's remembering how Harry said, "I do not wish to talk about that." The boy had said saying wish and not want as though to emphasize that he's able to use grown-up words and make grown-up decisions yeah. and like but it's not in a way that's condescending it's just like he's yeah uh, it's just how one would observe harry if you were you know a nice guy just listening to this kid talk yeah and that um, and this is where it was described is that he's like he seemed like kind of very calm and collected but not in a like not in a cold way but just he was just chill as fuck chill as fuck that's right yeah um and then I like with this too, when they get to the Black Marble Obelisk, Harry is point re- reflecting that the five stages of grief were probably bullshit. And that as far <laughs> as Harry, Harry's concerned, the, the five stages of grief were rage, remorse, resolve, research, and resurrection. Because <laughs> <laughs> Harry's definitely reacting to all this in a constructive fashion. Ah, if it, well, if constructive, it I guess so. Healthy, not so much. Yeah, fair. Um, that said, I think that like the five stages of grief, correct me if I'm wrong, are uh, psychologically informed listeners but i'm pretty sure that's like one of those things that someone just made up and people are kind of just like shoehorning to make still fit Mm -hmm. sort of but i think it's been sort of tossed out like a lot of like the established mid 1900s psychology it was just some something that someone 50 or 100 years earlier pulled out of their ass and but but the state of science now of, of, of psychology is is more scientific than it was 70 years ago or whatever um anyway i'm curious the five stages of grief is uh at all regarded as a real thing. I'm pretty sure it's not. But What do you think Harry's Myers-Briggs score is? I don't even remember the, the scores <laughs> on them because they're they're essentially horoscopes. It's a, uh, because the old school horoscope only had 12 possible values, but Myers-Briggs has 16. So, ah, so it's, it's more accurate. It's a power two. So. Of course, of course. Science. Yep. It's more because of science, because of numbers. Anyway, um, this was kind of fun. Yeah, so the, the obelisk transforms, and it's, uh, and this is actually, you know, kind of touching. It's, uh, it says, he'd been expecting a heroic pose of James Potter with his wand leveled against Lord Voldemort, and Lily Potter, their arms outstretched in front of the crib. Instead, there was a man with untidy hair and glasses, and a woman with her hair let down, and a baby in her arms. That was all. And You think about, like, that, how macabre that would be, though, if you were, like, trying to put a, you know, make a memorial to somebody, and you depict them in their moment of being killed that's true <laughs> like, that's, like that would be a little eh. mm-hmm. i'm trying to i'm sure there's you know plenty of you know fancy old paintings and, and statues of people in their heroic moment but like no let's just put them as as they 
as they live, not it's as they the, die. You know, the, the John F. Kennedy Memorial is like the convertible. <laughs> <laughs> and it's not some joke that, but uh, who was it? Uh, I can't remember. He was one of those like old school angry comics. Uh, Bill Hicks. It's like everybody's just Jackie crawling, checking out Jackie's ass as she's crawling across the trunk. <laughs> that, that would be it. Yeah. I, I, I Sol- solid to, brass I, rendition of skull chunks. I wonder if there's a model of that somewhere. There's got to be. Sure. Oh my God. Yeah, a, like a, a, a full scale model, <laughs> a recreation. Oh, I, I, I don't know if I want to see it, but I kind of, I kind of do, but I, I don't, you know, but, but, I do. but, but I don't, I want to see it, but I would never pay money to see it. All right. It's like a, it's like a Barbie set. <laughs> right. Yeah. No, I want, I want the one-to-one model. Like full scale. No, it's 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 the Dealey Center Barbie set. Dealey down. It's the conspiracy um, theory Barbie. That's right. Now with grassy knoll. How do we get here? What did I? Oh yeah, this is all my okay. fault. Okay, that was my fault. Where have we got here? So, um, I mean, we can we can cover as much of this as you want. You pulled out some stuff. Um, yeah, maybe. Um, I, yeah, I don't know how much it sort of applies with where we're going. Yeah, so like in looking at that, it kind of. Um, it get here, you know, my, 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 I, I pulled a muscle with my eyes rolling. Um, and when Harry just, he goes off on the whole like deathist thing again. Um, and I'll just seem very sort of like condescending. Um, but because he's at looking at the, the memorial and then he reads like the words off of that with people, there's like magic, you know, people are magically able to like basically post on the board of the, uh, of the sign with people saying like, okay, but you know, now my kid is avenged and thank God you are, somebody says you are a miracle was uh, the phrase that Harry picks up on. Uh, but he kind of does two things. Like the first, he kind of goes back to the same old, like, Oh, why is the rest of humanity? Like not trying to fight death. Um, and so that was like the, like this first thought that he lands at is just that like, Oh, everybody just try to, you know, they just get all philosophical and, you know, build memorials and say, oh, I guess it's better this way and thank God for your sacrifice, but nobody actually tries to, like, change anything. Um, uh, but then he lack, um, latches on to the, I don't know, maybe it, it may have just been that the uh, that the uh, turn of phrase reminded me of a cool movie quote, but um, but he, do, he does, like, latch on to that world, to the word miracle in a way that he seems like he's kind of, like, reconsidering how he thinks about it. Um, uh, but so, so the oh, yeah. quote I was, Before we get that, I want yeah. there was something I wanted to grab um, about how when he's talking with Lupin about uh, uh, yeah. like, did you try and did you think about trying to find a way to save James and Lily after they died? And Lupin just says, "There's no magic that that can undo death." And he's like, "Did you actually like you know check?" And he says, "Well, no." Um, and he says, "How come?" And he says, "Because it was already done and over." And uh, he he's basically just trying to find evidence that, you know, he's not the first person in the world to think of like maybe trying to bring your friends back isn't insane. Um, but it didn't occur to Lupin, but not because Lupin's not, you know, not because Lupin's insane, but because this is the established knowledge. Right. And it's, yeah, if you say I, so, I, it's worth just pulling out that like, you know, because Lupin isn't quarrel and it also, you know, like whatever occurred to quarrel to try and resurrect his friends, cause what friends, but, um, it didn't occur to Lupin either, and I just wanted to bring out, like, not because Lupin is stupid, but because it's outside the box isn't, like, justice to how, you know, against the grain, maybe, this this sort of, and not, not just, like, the idea of resurrecting your dead friends, but, like, uh, just thinking that 
orthogonal to the way people usually think about stuff. And he's, you know, it doesn't mean that they don't care um, or that it's not important. It's just, it doesn't occur to them. So anyway. Um, yeah. This okay. was, yeah. That stuff really just rubs me the wrong way. Cause it's like a very condescending, like, Oh, the reason the rest of the world disagrees with me is cause they're just not as smart as me or enlightened or whatever you want to, however you want to phrase that. Well, no, I mean like I, maybe, maybe not. I mean like it's again, like I, I wasn't born believing that the ethics of vegetarianism were valid. Right. Uh, I wasn't even raised that way. Um, and I'm currently not a vegetarian, but I was for a few years and then got lazy. Um, but like, I, I think that the vegetarians are on the right side of history. I think we'll look back in a couple of centuries and be amazed at how awful we were to, uh, just the enormous collective group of animals that we, we harvested for, for their meat like that. I think that will be a mistake that, that humanity looks back on. And so like, I guess I'm it's 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 just sort of the related thing like it doesn't mean that you're better or that you're more enlightened necessarily like it's it's easy enough to look and look down your nose at people and pretend that but like you don't get credit for being exposed to the right idea at the right time or coming from a from a upbringing that allows you to take an idea seriously it just like it's just something that happens well but it's again like i'm like beating this to death but it's like i think miscategorizing that behavior, I mean, so what Lupin does here is being like the, the stereotypical deathist, but I don't, that behavior, I think, is, you know, usually just going to be, what am I trying to say? It's not that like, oh, well, I guess everybody has to die. It's like, okay, you know what? I did what I can. I did look look into it. Because, yeah, the idea that like, oh, you know, it just never occurred to me that maybe dying would be bad. Um, I don't, like, that's not the reason. that It's not because, oh, it didn't occur to people to you know, think outside the box, like people did and they're doing like, and like it is being done. We get to like specifically here, we could see like, no, like Harry's not the first person to think that maybe they could try to stop death. Um, totally. Um, yeah. I mean, it's, it's, uh, or that like, you know, in the real world that like cancer research is that and just because like somebody's not like out, like trying to figure out how do we like, you know, reverse aging. Um, there are people actually doing that. Yeah. So it's, yeah, yeah, it's not that like people, it's not that it's not being done and that people that do then philosophically just go like, oh, you know what, I'm going to die and I've just come to accept it. Uh, that that's not the same thing as, oh, death is awesome. Um, right. I don't think that that's Lupin's attitude either. Lupin is much less of a straw man deathist than Dumbledore was. Yeah. Um, Lupin just saying, no, this is just how things are. And like it was a little bit of straw man because he's just like, no, nah, I didn't really think about it. Like, of course you thought about it. Like everybody would have thought about it a little bit. Um, I mean, like most people don't think about in our world, like, is it possible at all to bring, you know, to, to resurrect dead people? Um, like if, if we lose somebody, we just say that sucks. They're gone forever. Um, yeah, I guess like, say, well, but yeah. by the time you get to it, like in any given case, you've like already, like, that's not a, a novel thought and you already had, you know, you've thought that, you know, a hundred times already in your past life. And then you've already, it's not like, Oh, my father died. I wonder if, you know, I could bring him back from the dead. It's not like it didn't, that idea didn't like first occur to me right in that moment. That's like an idea you've had in the abstract about everybody and everything the whole time. So by, you know, when you're then presented with this new case, you're like, okay, this is a, you know, my opinion on this was settled a long time ago. So it's not like, Hmm, I wonder if I'd like my father back. No, but then it's like, where did that opinion come from? And did you actually like think to try? Like most people say, no, I've already had that thought before, whether I had it originally as a kid or somebody told me about it, but I, no, I decided a long time ago, there's nothing you can do about it. Um, I think it's the, like, and you know, death again is kind of like a, a, 
a not easy example to start with about thinking against the grain like that. But um, like you said, you, you've already had this thought before and it's kind of just there ready to be had again whenever a new case comes up. But it's like, no, why not like try and take an original stab at the thought? And say, is there literally anything left to be done here? Um, yeah. I guess I would see that. But like, sort of like what's implied here is that if you didn't arrive at this conclusion, then you must not have thought about it. I guess that is fair. I guess what I'm saying, yeah. I mean, that, that's, that's not necessarily what I'm saying, but I can see. No, it's not. What, no, it's not what you're saying. I think that's kind of, what of the, so yeah. far. And that's kind of the uh, underlying vibe in this. And the yeah. Yeah. No, that, that's totally fair. And like I said, that's not quite what I'm saying, but I, that's a, that's a valid reading of what I said so far. Um, I think it's, uh, yeah, 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 we've beat it to death, but there it's heh, to death. Um, ah. All right, there's our tie-in. So, yeah, anyway, the miracle bit comes from when Harry's reading the, there's like this inscription thing where like apparently people can come and leave messages on this like message board that, you know, pops up different messages after one phase, another one comes up. And they're all like, uh, um, I don't know, kind of heavy stuff. And one, you know, one just says, oh, James, oh, Lily, I'm so sorry. Um, I hope you're alive, Harry Potter. And rest well, Lily. I wonder if Snape put that there. Um, oh. I doubt it. He probably felt too guilty. Um, I wish our last words had been kinder, James. I'm sorry. And there's always a dawn after the night. Someone thought they were being deep when they <laughs> spray painted that under the bridge. Uh, anyway, then Harry latches onto this one where it says, you can Bless buy, you, you can boy, buy that at Target. You were a miracle. You can buy that as a sign at Target in big uh, right. cursive letters in wood. Exactly. <laughs> and so then, yeah, you, you pointed out that Harry latched onto this miracle bit um, when someone called him a miracle. Yeah, so, yeah, what I pulled up. Um, you are a miracle. Harry had always heard the word miracle in the context of how, in the natural universe, there was no such thing. And yet, looking at the ruined house, he suddenly knew exactly what the word meant. The note of grace all unexplained, the blessing inexplicable. The Dark Lord had almost won, and then, in one night, all the darkness and terror had ended. Salvation without justification, a sudden dawn from out of the darkness, and even now, nobody knew why. I think I mostly like because it reminded me of a really cool speech from Christopher Walken from the movie The Prophecy, which people totally need to watch. You still haven't watched it, have you? I have it open on my work computer and forgot to watch it. Well, no, you got to like watch the whole movie. It's cool. Viggo Mortensen. Well, what movie was it? The uh... The Prophecy, which I realized as I was looking at these, uh, as I was pulling up the uh, video clips, I had blocked from my memory that they made two really bad sequels to it. Um, nice. So I'm just... I, I reject that reality and substitute with my own that there was just this one really good movie made in 1995. Right on. I like the, uh, the text continues from there too, where it says, uh, if Lily Potter had lived beyond her confrontation with Lord Voldemort, she would have felt that way when she saw her baby alive afterward. Let's go. Whispered the baby boy 10 years later. Yeah. I think what I love. Oh, so he was killed after he was one year old. We yeah, finally yeah, settled yeah. that question. We were talking about the last oh, episode. Yeah. Right. Um, I think what I liked about that, uh, and the, the quote from the movie is, uh, how does it say, like, all blah, 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 I do bad things, destroy cities, uh, and the only thing you can count on between now and kingdom come is that you never get to understand why. Um, hmm. And I like that, so that's what the, yeah, and nobody knew, like, um, sudden dawn from out of the darkness, and even now nobody knew why. Um, that I think, like, a lot of the stuff I will churn on with, like, <laughs> with, what, with Harry when Harry and I butt heads, it has a lot of the time to do with, um, like not acknowledging the level of uncertainty or being like fooled into thinking there's a higher level of certainty around things than there is. Um, so I kind of like this, uh, especially when it was 
when he said it in the context of something that's sort of very kind of explicitly, explicitly like not rationalist, um, that like that's sort of like the like the correct application of, the rash, of rationality is knowing like when like when there is enough information to even have a surface area to attach a theory to, um, and that I think like a lot of the like ethical arithmetic that gets uh, applied to things like sentient grass. Um, like start you, when you start slapping numbers around it, it, it like creates a false sense of uh, of the level of certainty that there's even anything to be applying logic to, um, and so I kind of like that. Like Harry, and so and that was what this was to you know the people dealing with um, with Voldemort back then was just like there's just this kind of totally basically causeless you know horrible thing happening. Uh, it has no good reason for it, and basically no good reason it stopped either. It was just sort of like, um, you know, Harry just came out of nowhere and Voldemort went away. Um, yeah. And that there's like there's, he, no, there's nothing for anybody to attach meaning to on it. Um, yeah, I, I think I see what you're saying. Um, and I, I like that, I mean, Harry uh, goes, you know, moves away from the, like, the Spockian slash yeah. maybe, that might have been Hume who said just simply a miracle is a suspension of natural law. Um, and so like, that's, that's one definition, but like, you know, arguing from definitions is a complete waste of everyone's time, but this is what people mean. It's like that, like you were alluding to, it's like, no, they're just this, uh, you know, this, this rescue from nowhere for no reason. Yeah. Um, or, you know, something else of equal level of positive befuddlement, I guess. Yeah. Um, anyway, uh, then they move through the graveyard, and uh, oh, I think you pulled out that um, I never thought this, but you might be onto something. Oh, uh, yeah. That well, I think yeah. So just in describing, uh, I think I was a little uh, just describing like the gateway to get into the graveyard. I think my first clue was that it was a little over described, um, but uh, but also like I could I still don't quite get what is being described here. As far as like, I don't think it's important, but like the way the gate works, but the graveyard's entrance was guarded by a lockless gate of the sort that keep out animals with a place to stand while you move the door from one side of the standing place to the other. Uh, Remus took out his wand. Harry was already holding his and there was a brief blur as they stepped through. So I think that like that some, but it was weird too, because like it wasn't, the gate wasn't necessarily described as something that needed to be opened in order for somebody to like, you know, get past it. But um, but yeah, that there was a brief blur as they stepped through made it seem like, okay, when they opened the door, then invisible somebody was able to sneak in at the same time. And that, that this, uh, little too much detail here was significant for like, that's going to be important later. Dinner. The real Voldemort was this gate all along. I know, right? uh, now, yeah, I, I, I'll be honest, I'm having difficulty picturing exactly what it's describing. I pictured the brief blur as like a, uh, like a magic thing. Um, of just know. the gate like a magic barrier that maybe does keep uh, out animals or something. But, uh, I, I, if yes, if you're, uh, I like that from, you know, the latter paranoia, it's like, Oh no, that's, <laughs> you know, someone's disillusionment flickering as they're yeah, being followed, you yeah, know, yeah. someone's following there's, them through. There's the glitch in the matrix. Yeah. Um, so like, how does it, I, I guess it's not important, but what is, what does this gate look like to you in your head? Cause I can't even picture it. Like the standing place on the side, like, I'm like what are we, I have no fucking clue. I know, it's just weird. I, I think that was mostly what like brought my attention to is that my brain kept trying to like draw a picture of what was being described here and I like I'm like, what uh huh? I can picture Standing a lockless place? gate. It's like, you know, the ones from you know, the like the little swelling like the things like they have a dog parks. Yeah. But like I don't 
quite get what's going on there. Um, I when I when I eventually picture it, I picture a low level uh, black spiked fence. I'm not picturing yeah. a gate at all. So um, I think my brain just gives up on it because I don't really, I don't think it matters. Yeah. But um, this is the uh, the big payoff for this chapter, other than all the nice kind of introspection we're getting. Um, so as, as Harry approaches his parents' graves, he's, and this is this is done, I think, thematically well as it's delivering because there's yeah. it's all line breaks. There's no, like, it's, there's no paragraphs till it gets through the whole thing, but it's like, as they stood before, and then Harry says, what is this? Who who wrote this? And then it's, you know, James Potter, and it's his, uh, whatever, born, died. And he says, wrote what? And then Lily Potter, born and died on that one. And he says, this, the inscription. And, like, so we don't know what it's talking about. Like, it's building up to it. Um, and so, uh, where, where, what does it say? The touch of grace where no grace should have been. The mysterious blessing, tears welling up at. The last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. Dum, dum, dum. And uh, no, that's from the original. Lupin, that's in the original, isn't it? I think it is. Uh, maybe. I think. It oh, is. maybe. Yeah, because I think that's the uh, the author does say that this, the the same thing is, is yeah. on the in uh, the inscription. Yeah. All right. So that is in the original. Yeah. Um, I think the original was running with Lupin's interpretation and not Harry's. Um, but... uh, yeah, yeah, I'm done beating that horse. No, no. I, 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 I'm not. I'm not. I'm not on the well, horse. I'm just pointing it out. That, well, I was, I this, like this is like the worst like Lupin's thing here is the 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 straw manier of the two, for sure. But I I I do think that that was kind of where the canon book was going with it because it definitely wasn't like a, I, a I, and here is your quest, young hero, to to defeat death. I also um, do not concede that the point of the original books was that death is something that's just great and you should accept it. I don't think that that was the point. I think it was it was a fun story about a magic kid who goes yeah, to a magic school. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, anyway, moving past all that stuff, what, what's more important is that Harry sees, uh, like, he sees this inscription, and then there's this this line about he says, uh, um, there, there's the inscription of the Deathly Hallows, and Lupin says that that line is like the motto of the Potters, yeah. um, and he's wondering like, can history really like rhyme like this? Like, what? Th- this is like the cool like I don't yeah. know. Life is a story, magic. Mm-hmm. You know, this is exactly what you'd find in a video game or yeah. something, right? Or a cool book. Yeah, and he says, like, not... what he says is like, oh, they really were my mother and father because, you know, they also saw death as a thing to be destroyed. Apparently it's been the family quest for a long yeah. time because I think that that was, I don't know if this was a methods of rationality or a canon thing, if the Potters were descended from the Peverell. That's what not. I was wondering. Um, I don't. I wouldn't have if if you'd asked me. I wouldn't have said so. I thought the Peverells was just were just other characters from the past. Yeah, I think the Peverells are other characters from the past in canon. Actually, I think if you'd asked me too, wrong. that there was just a ah, Peverell in the original, but I could be wrong about that too. No, there were the three. Were they, were they, oh, that's right, because they were the brothers for the Yeah, that's right. Anyway, um, yeah, uh, I, yeah, I don't, yeah, I don't think they were related. But no, I don't think so either. But anyway, um, so then Harry stands up because his his wand is glowing a little bit. And uh, I think it, it's kind of fun because it's the throwback. The only other time we saw a glowing wand like this was when Lupin was describing after Harry was born that James was so happy that for a week his wand glowed gold whenever he touched it. <laughs> I don't and know that. It was, it was a nice heart, heartwarming moment. Yeah. He says, then even after that, whenever he thought of you, uh, it would still glow gold. <laughs> so apparently at moments of intense emotion, um, your wand glows because it's, you know, it's magic. 
Call your lawyers. Um, <laughs> so, uh, and I like how it's very says, like uh, a very video game feeling moment of Harry accepting his quest. Exactly. So he stands up and says, "I am Harry Potter or Harry James Potter Evans Varys, son of Lillian James of the House of Potter, and I accept my family's quest. Death is my enemy, and I will defeat it." And then I don't know if you want to try your hand at this ye olde English, oh, but Enoch did a great job of it in the audiobook. Yeah. Was that his voice? But I thought it was like another voice that did it, but yeah. Um, no, I think it was him. I can't. Actually, I don't even think that I pulled the old English to even read, but I'm not, I, I couldn't even try. Yeah, um, well, it's, it's. I'm, I wonder how many takes it took him. Um, anyway. Uh, yeah, only so like this, when you're doing it right, it sounds kind of vaguely Enter like the German. stream of consciousness of Harry and Lupin. And, and I totally misread that. Because I, I read that as, uh, uh, I misread both things at the end of this chapter that first I thought that like Harry did that. And then he like spoke in tongues and was like, Oh, what the hell was that? Um, so that was totally wrong. And then I also thought the, mm-hmm. that the uh, snake said it to him later. So I had, I was double wrong on that one. What snake? Oh, the snake at the yeah, end. The snake at the end. Cause, cause no. yeah, you like see the snake and then the translation of the old English happens. And so I thought it was just like, Oh, then the snake said that, or I don't know. But what, so, but what really happened in the quick pass. Yeah. Uh, but what really happened yeah, is... some of the inside baseball on this is that we recorded the last episode two days ago, or three, I don't know. And so, so we, yeah. we had to kind of rush between these two, so... Um, yeah. But no, it says that uh, the words had popped into a stream of consciousness as though from his own thoughts, unexplained, and the Lupin hears the same thing. And because Lupin's got a, nope, we got to get the fuck out of here, if anything yeah. weird happens, then they bail. Yeah, you know, uh, we actually reading that again, that you could sort of interpret that as like, oh, they entered his thoughts and that he then said them out loud, but... Um, I mean, he didn't. But if you squint, you could, I mean, he says what, and then, then Lupin says, what was that? Although you're right. Yeah. You could say that. He said it out loud, and Lupin's what? like, yeah, what? And then, yeah, I think that's how I... All right, yeah. But it, but it also doesn't have quotes around it. Oh, uh, yeah, that's true. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like, like it was a very uh, sane move by Lupin's part. He's like, Dumbledore told me if anything weird happened, then we need to get the fuck out. And he did, even though it wasn't like necessarily like a threatening anything. Um, he's like, nope, too bad we can't stay. Yep. Um, Smart move. Yeah. And, uh, Lupin refuses to translate, even if he knew what the words meant. And then Harry goes back to the Ravenclaw tower and he says he had not, ex- he would not have expected any of that, but it had all been for the good. He was passing through Ravenclaw common room on the way to his dorm. Uh, that was when the shining creature came to him, gleaming soft white beneath the candle fires of the Ravenclaw common room as it slithered out from nowhere, the silver snake. Now, is this the, this is this, like when we saw, um, is this what Quirrell looked like when he did his animagus thingy? Or no, this, he looked like a snake. Oh, he just looked like a regular snake. So have we not seen the snake before? Because I wanted to say like we already did. We have. We have. And I mean, I'll uh, I'll spell it out rather than walk you there it's gleaming soft white it's a patronus well yeah yeah and uh the the patronus snake that we saw before was draco's oh okay yes yeah i was lost lost to me not paying enough attention it happens we only i mean how how many months ago was that that we saw that was quite a one time quite a while ago you know that's another thing if anyone's going to give us uh well i mean i think my memory of this is better because i've read it five times but you know like there's nothing like you know Oh man, reading comprehension for not remembering that. I don't know. Was it five months ago that you saw the Patronus once? Remember, everybody, we're crawling through this book at a at a at a snail's pace, so it's hard to keep every detail in mind over the course of a year. 
and, and apparently a bunch of you fuckers still weren't sure who Voldemort was. So you can kiss my entire ass. You're going to feel so stupid <laughs> when it turns out that Hagrid is Voldemort. No, it's Ludo Bagman. Ludo Bagman. Yep. Who apparently did, wasn't, wasn't even in the movie, yeah. I don't think. I, I I think you just pulled out like a random nameless character. No, he was like, a, he was like the old, but he, he was like an old sports. He was an old Quidditch hero, but now he's like middle-aged and fat and kind of a dick. And yeah, perfect. And then I want to say he became like some high mucky muck. But anyway, so apparently the uh, that fancy old English translates to three shall be the Peverell's shall be Peverell's sons and three their devices by which death shall be defeated. It says spoken in the presence of the three Peverell brothers in this in a small tavern on the outskirts of what would later be called Godric's Hollow. Oh, so I would say I hadn't really put that together. So the word, that's we're saying the Pepperell brothers are from like eight, that eight, 800 AD. Like it's in Old English because that's the language the Pepperell brothers spoke. Oh, yeah. Spake. Spake. <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, I guess probably reading it, you could have picked up on it a little better but yeah because i did listen to this uh chapter hearing it it just sounded like it was probably just you know i did think it was just speaking in tongues um yeah uh, that probably that's probably what threw me too <clears throat> because like then it was like read like uh like you know with the correct pronunciation and out loud so i think then my brain latched onto that as it is that it was a thing that was actually spoken out loud <clears throat> but, and in the same voice as harry uh you know it's the limits of only having yeah. A hundred and something people who helped voice your audiobook that he didn't find someone else to do the voice of that of um, of random and the voice of random memory from the past was <laughs> the voice of whatever of quest death. giving yeah, the, like yeah all right yeah. well let's oh, that's true it wasn't even the Peverell brothers that said it was spoken in the presence of three Peverell brothers yeah I wonder who spake it I'm gonna go ahead and say Voldemort perfect uh, yes Dumbledore. Merlin, Merlin. Um, God. Um, um, All right. Well, let's see. It. That leaves us with chapters 97, 98, and 99 for next time. Is that so that gets us because there's only what one more rolls chapter or are there two more? Uh, those are actually the last three. Oh, there's oh, that's a lot. I thought it ended sooner. Okay. Oh, so Part it's eight, the final, and then aftermath. Ah, okay. Yep. Cool. And so we got a cliffhanger like around next. Draco. What was that? We have a cliffhanger around Draco and his yeah, Patronus sneak. So uh, yeah, that actually brings us to the end of the next uh, like book, quote unquote, of the arbitrary lines that someone chopped through this so they could print these. <laughs> um, yeah, I, we can try and fit in a retro. If it's not the week after the next, then we'll put one in here shortly, just because they're fun yeah. to take a step back. And yeah, I don't think we have. To, we have to. We don't have to worry too much about like doing it right at a break around chapters yeah because we did just do one it seems yeah. like like three episodes ago or four it, yeah so but anyway we'll have a retro at some point but i feel like just because these chapters are all short that we breeze through this yeah. this whole book quote unquote remember i think this one started at chapter 86 multiple hypothesis testing and then it runs straight from there to the time pressure and then rolls like this is a super short book um i think yeah definitely so anyway um I think I'll play us out since this was a short episode. Uh, the exit music will be uh, Wes's intro, or uh, what do you call it? Not intro, uh, entry into the fan art contest. I'll, I'll play us out with that and song. And you didn't know you didn't know what it was uh, covering. 
Yeah, it's apparently great, it's a cover. I thought it was original West. In... I feel disappointed. <laughs> uh, yeah, the, uh, we might run into a copyright violation here. Or is it? I think it falls under the Weird Al rule. Yeah, yeah that sounds fair. There's great moments huh. in 90s pop. So what, what was the original song? Uh, Mr. Jones. Mr. Jones and Me? Mm-hmm. All right, well, this one's Professor Quirrell and Me. So. And I hope it's coming across with my facetious uh, opinion of Mr. Jones. Counting Crows. You're, you're speaking know, in tongues right? to me. Know, right? If it's not clear, I didn't listen to a lot of music and still don't really. You, you know, you didn't uh, miss much. It's actually, and it's a real like terrible earworm, too, so you can just skip it. Well, great. I will <laughs> save myself the trouble. Not Wes's version. He brings like a whole new layer of awesomeness to it. Yeah, you get you get nerdy points doing it this way. <laughs> All right. Well, everyone enjoy that and join us next week for chapters 97, 98, and 99. Bye, everybody. Well, we're all part of our environment He needs a better environment So I snap my fingers, now I'm doing magic How's that even supposed to work, yeah? I don't know, yeah Help out, Hermione Help me do some experiments And let's take defense class Professor Quirrell in me He says I need to learn to lose and I want to be someone who can lose Yeah Professor Quill and me meeting in a private room Yeah we talk about Rita Skeeter and she's writing about you <laughs> No no She's writing about me smiling over hot tea Did he just smush that bug and win So she did some bad things, can't guess my Patronus. Professor Quirrell's unconscious, and when Professor Quirrell loves me, I will never be lonely. I will never be lonely, said I'm never gonna be lonely. Yeah, but we got different reasons for that He believes in me But he don't believe in anything And I want to be someone to believe To believe, to believe in
each other I'll be there for you Man, I know you'll always be there for me I wanna be a light lord Press a quarrel, wishes I was just a little more ruthless When everybody fears you Our son, just about as ruthless as you can be Press a quarrel and me Staring at the universe When I look at the stars and planets I wanna see him Staring right back at me We have a special connection But I don't know why and I don't know how But when everybody fears me Be just as happy as I can be There's a quarrel in me We're gonna be best friends